Away team, it's time for us to get going. Mutant infestations are clearly dangerous, but four of us can handle it, especially when I'm the leader. Captain, are you sure leading the way is a smart move? These mutants aren't known for taking prisoners after all. Yeah, Captain. The reports of dragons and wolves helping them are not exactly equipped for battle after you took out all of our phasers and made use of close-range weapons. Even though I am a ranger and can't handle a halberd. Clearly, the captain is waiting for something to tear off his shirt. It's just how he operates. Oh no! A mutated manatee is throwing the captain around. Uh, it's not much of a mutation, though, so this might take a while. <laughs> My loyal red shirts! And pilot, I need some, uh, assistance. Just bring that shuttlecraft overhead and turn on the propellers. That should do it. Manatees are no match for the firepower we command. Gosh, Captain. <clears throat> we seem to be at a great distance from the shuttlecraft. It may take us a long time. Long enough that you might give them some extra shirts instead of just letting the shirts die like usual. Yeah, Captain. I could use a spell to heal you. Maybe I even will. But you have to let me get the experience from killing this mutant. I actually have no problem with that. You can fight the mutants. I'll find a native to romance. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Three, two, one! RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Meeky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack, where we talk about RPGs from the way back when, right up to yesteryear. This is episode number 97, Another Day, Another Macetta. I am your host, Phil Willis, and this is our other host, Mr. I am Mike Mink, and yes, I am also here, even though I am not the most experienced in this series, but we have people that's right. Neither Mike nor I are experienced in this series whatsoever, even though I did watch somebody one time play Fantasy Star in the Genesis. But apparently that doesn't count because today we are talking about Fantasy Star Online and its many various iterations. To help us navigate this maze of online games that were invented back in the time of dial-up, we have two great really guests with us this evening. We got... This Cassandra Ramen Noodle Soup Ramos. Hello, everybody. And Mr. John Fool Calendar Yearworth. Yeah, uh, we got a fresh prince today. Fresh prince? He's not Royal a fresh prince. prince of Bel Air, though. No. Nope. Uh, Sadly, no. Jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, and then I'll add on top of that your comments and questions. Uh, 
we're gonna do another uh, one of my top 10 games as we close in on the number 100 episode uh, we might even be having a little contest here at the end to give away a fun game all of that and so much more so hold on tight we're gonna play some music for you we'll come right back and get right into this We have returned for your listening pleasure, and we are ready to talk about a lot of games with the words Fantasy, Star, and Online in them somewhere. Our first one up is Fantasy Star Online, developed by Sonic Team, published by Sega. This was released on the Sega Dreamcast in North America on January 29th, 2001. And uh, the second version, version 2, was released on September 24th, 2001. This is an action RPG, massively multiplayer online experience coming to you on GD-ROM. Do you know what GD-ROM is, boys and girls? I don't. Phil, you never had a Dreamcast, did you? You know, actually, I think I... Wait a minute. Yes, that was the only way to play um, uh, the Flying Sonic. What was his name? Knights? Right? So I had to have a Dreamcast because I played Knights. That was Knights, Knights was on the Saturn. Oh, damn. Yeah. No, I didn't have a Dreamcast. <laughs> But just like Nintendo invented its own format for the GameCube, Sega invented its own format for the Dreamcast. There That's what a GD-ROM is. There you go. And, and you know, actually Sony has done it best because they've got those proprietary little sticks for downloading and playing your games on. The little memory sticks are like SD cards but smaller and about, oh, four times more expensive. 
Yeah, smart people. You're not bringing the UMD into this, Phil? Uh, it's not UMD. <laughs> it's it's um, no, it's even worse than UMD. It's just a little tiny. It's a little. I mean, we're in the 21st century. We we don't even use discs anymore. It's those little tiny SD cards, but it's like 80 bucks for uh, 16 gigs. The the one the ones that the PS Vita uses yeah, is memory storage. That's what I'm talking about. The Vitas. But I mean, you use them nowadays because everyone's used to downloading, you know, some of their games, if not all of them. And so that's really how you play games these days. You buy the disc, you put it on, or you buy the little... Anyways, let's talk about Fancy Star Online. Be, let's talk about dial-up instead, because that's really more pertinent to the conversation. It is. Wouldn't this conversation be fun if we were doing it via dial-up? Yeah, yeah. The audio recording quality of this recording would just be absolutely through the roof if we were doing this on dial-up. Phenomenal. It would be. So let's talk about uh, Corral and devastated environments and fantasies and stars and and dial-up well, okay. online networks. I, I remember from the EGM review at the time that somebody said there's one very special boss that ties this into the original fantasy stars that were not online. Um, what is that boss? Because I don't know. It's you don't. The really, you can't guess. Well, I can make a guess that it would be the thing that you fought at the end of all of them. Is it Dark Force? Yes. Dark Falls, but yes. Either that yes. was either that's an intentional difference, or somebody at Sega screwed the pooch. Okay. I think it's I think it's intentional, and possibly they thought Dark Force was kind of generic. Yeah, I I have a, I have a suspicion that while it, it, it I don't think it's a translation error because Falls is is sort of different enough from Force kind of thing, um, and. I think there are, like there are references to the to like for example the planets that the original Fantasy Star games. Took oh, there are loads on. of Fantasy but, Star and original. Yeah, they, they like a number of them were also like I I have a feeling that they were like intentionally misspelt to kind of sort of muddy the waters just to, just that little bit, perhaps even to suggest hmm. that some time had passed. Maybe. Yeah, uh, there's like a there's a, okay. a weapon called the pro- a book called the Prophets of Motav, not Motavia, Motav. <laughs> Desolus, I'm sure it's in there somewhere. Sort of. There's this incantation that mentions all three planets, but so corrupted. I what was it like Mut Dis Palm? I think. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, Thor is in Palma. And of course, the currency is Meseda. Yes, still Meseda's. Well, the game itself does not play anything like the older ones, so uh, that's true. Let's let's start with that. Yeah, the the gameplay for for the original Fantasy Star Online is probably closer to um, I think Diablo is probably like its nearest sort of similar game, I suppose. Like four person parties, strong emphasis on looting containers, like action RPG elements. It sounds that like Diablo. Actually, that actually yeah. fits. I read Wiki, as we all know, Wiki is infallible. Said that because there were no comparable online games on console for the Sega development team to learn from. They actually went with Diablo and tried to replicate that as much as possible on a console. Wouldn't be surprised. I mean, yeah. You still there, John? Oh, yeah, no, I'm it. still here. Okay, but yeah, just kind of faded um, out for a second. Sorry. But yeah, um, the, like, the gen- so the general gameplay is actually fairly... Um, Simplistic would be the right word. There yeah. isn't for, for like the melee classes and the ra- the primary range classes. Um, there wasn't actually kind of like a vast amount of um, kind of like stuff you your character could do. You could hit you could hit an enemy. You could hit an enemy slightly harder. Or you could hit an enemy with a special property of your weapon, and that's basically all hunters and rangers got access to. And if you time it right, you can do a one two three combo. Yeah. And how many times would you need to be doing that for the typical enemy? Several. It depends okay. on the difficulty and how high your level is. So. Yeah, and for a boss. 
Fancy Star, Fancy Star Online had a level cap of 100. Fancy Star Online version 2 had a level cap of 200. Oh, yeah. And how long would it take to reach that cap if you were dedicated? A while. Okay. Yeah. I think I stopped, I stopped at 121. My sister's and character is currently at 140-something. <laughs> <laughs> she plays it like once, like a couple of times a year, mind you, ever since, I don't know how long ago she stopped playing it dedicatedly. So, yeah. My character's like a 101 or 2 or something. Is that good enough to let you do what you need to in the game? Oh, yeah. I just okay. did... Yeah, because- Ultimate, not ultimate. Uh, is it ultimate? What's the last? Yeah, ultimate's called? the highest difficulty. Yeah, ultimate uh, is still a little bit hard for me. <laughs> I was gonna say though, doesn't ultimate? I think as, as far as I remember from like the difficulty scale, like the difficulty levels though, um, Fancy Star Online had four difficulty modes, and ultimate was only in Fancy Star Online version two. Yes. But as far yeah. as I can remember, you unlocked ultimate like um, I think at level eighty. Like the level eighty was the recommended level for ultimate. Yeah. I think the other difficulties kind of like scaled down back from that. So sixty, forty, and uh, something like that. I can't oh, remember. Yeah. I yes, I seem to recall. I, although I think that's for like playing either multiplayer or online. I'm going off of episode one and two here. Like if you com- if you could go f- if you could run through the uh, you know quote unquote story mode or single player mode. I guess. I mean, there is a story, but we'll get into that later. Uh, you go through, you beat it normal, then you can go on to hard, and then very hard, and then ultimate. You didn't have to listen to the le- level recommendations if you didn't want to. Pretty sure it's only for online. Well, speaking of online, since we are dealing with the Dreamcast's 56k modem here, how did that work? How laggy was it? I'll tell you what, it wasn't actually that bad. Um, I think kind of like the 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 delay, or not, I'm not sure whether or not to call it delay or not, but like the the speed in which your characters attacked kind of made it like that. If your connection was good, you know, a sort of relatively clear day, um, then you would it would normally be okay. There would not actually be really that many issues. I think there was something in the netcode that might have compensated for minor lag situations. Um, yeah, I mean, there were times when my connection did lag like crazy, and it was quite amusing to sort of, I don't know, semi-clear a room and then have the rest of it catch up to you when the connection speed increased. Or, you know, you, your character just drops dead. Because, <laughs> you know, you get murderized by the boss during a lag spike. That's always the best way to die. <laughs> well, I mean, it, but it's kind of like, it's not like that's changed much in the last... That you know, sort of fifteen years. If you have a massive lag spike, you're gonna die, regardless of um, if it's Fancy Star Online or like the latest World of Warcraft expansion. You know, it's it, it is true, and it's just it's frustrating. I mean, when Diablo, uh, you know, came out, and even months after its release, I'd go back and play once in a while. It would tick me off to no end, especially if I was playing single player mode. When a you know, in a, in a very tough and close battle, uh, just even a slight lag spike, as you as you put it. Uh, can absolutely, you know, kill off your character and the such. So yeah, that is it. That has it. Even though we're in an age of fiber optic and high speed network access and things like that, those spikes still get you. I mean, I kind of have fairly fond memories of that that sort of era because um, Fancy Star Online, I think, was one of my first proper online games alongside the original. The original Diablo was one of the first. I remember that much, but. Fancy Star Online is it was kind of like a sort of more landmark one for me because it sticks out in my mind more. Uh, the the game itself I think just appealed to me like my my sort of science fiction mind more than Diablo did. And I remember days of where I I was dial I it, when I was um, playing Fancy Star Online I had to dial up. Um, basically, there was this booklet on the inside of the Fancy Star Online version two case in Europe or in, at least in England for something called SegaNet which was basically kind of like a mini ISP for, um, 
well, you know, browsing the internet via your Dreamcast. And um, I, I, I'm trying to remember how much it cost, but all I seem to remember was um, I had to, I, I played it quite a bit, and then I'd end up like forking the money over to, to my mum who paid the phone bill afterwards, like by the hour. Hmm. It was an expensive addiction. I believe it. Well, because I mean, yeah, no, no, yeah, these days, I mean, in the house that I live now, now that I'm 25, I pay the house internet bill, <laughs> and it's you know a flat rate for gigs and gigs and gigs of data. Whereas back then, you know, a, an hour yeah, of playtime or whatever would cost me however many pence or something off my weekly pocket money. Yeah, of course, that's just because we're we've got always on internet now instead of plug in and wait for the stupid dial up to connect you. And for the for the youngest people listening, they probably don't even remember the time when you had to listen to that stupid <laughs> <laughs> That's not how noise. It and it would go on for like thirty seconds like that, and suddenly and then you're ready to go. And now you could start typing and stuff. Yeah, I remember the first time you know, that you could turn on a computer and be always on. And I was always this this always on internet that you speak of, that sounds suspicious. I'm not getting that because I like the fact that I log in and log out of the internet when I'm ready. You know, I don't like the idea that my computer's always connect, and now we all do it without thinking twice. <laughs> yeah, now the U.S. government takes advantage of it. It's very happy. <laughs> but you know what? Let's not go there. <laughs> and well, I mean, it was it was just kind of just feels a little bit different to the how I then played MMOs going forwards. Like, I, I think there was a, a little bit sort of gap in time where I stopped playing fa uh, Fancy Star Online and, and then eventually started on properly on Final Fantasy XI sometime in 2004. Um, but, so yeah, it, it, it's kind of... It, it, it sort of occupies this strange place where, aside, again, aside from Diablo, it really was, like, the first time I played, like, this big sort of multiplayer game, even though technically the party size was capped at four like Diablo was. It still felt, you know, living in the future. So, what else would you like to talk about, Fantasy Star? Well, okay, these the the classes that you can choose from. What what are the, which ones did you play as, and would you have done it differently if you were doing it again now? I played as a the the, the a class name is the Hugh New Earl. At least I think that's how you pronounce it. The Hugh, the Hunter Newman female. Newmans are a class here instead of just a single example of a you know genetic engineering experiment. Yeah. And I would still play as one now. It's probably one of my favorite character classes of any game out there. It's just got that right mixture of speed, agility, evasion, hitting like hitting them multiple times with the dual weapons, and a little bit of extra magical ability or they call technic they call them techniques in this game instead of magic the spells so i could heal myself well i could you know use a throw out a fireball spell or blow up everything using a raw foyer pretty cool yeah oh, hunters were kind of like kind of uh, sort of they were like generic melee class with support ability kind of thing mm -hmm. um my preferred one was god i'm trying to remember whether i got my hunter or my force higher sorry my ranger or my force um, Rangers um, also had like a tiny bit of magical ability, but I think a lot less than Hunters. Yeah, they were the weakest of the, the three major classes. Yeah, but they shot things at range and had oh, ridiculous yes, yes. Range, ranged attack power to go with it. High accuracy. Androids can't use techniques, by the way. 
Yeah, they were they were fairly stringent on that one. Well, well, that comes straight from the original Fantasy Star, so at least it's accurate. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that they kept for for kind of like internal consistency was. Mm-hmm. Um, and it does sound like all the spells have the unique Fantasy Star namings instead yeah, of Ro- uh, yeah, Foy, Rafoy, Gifoy, Barda, Megid. What is it? Dia? Uh, yeah, that's the healing, healing spell? Uh, no, Resta. Yeah, Resta. Resta. Okay. And the uh, status restoration being called Anti. Mm-hmm. The resurrection spell was Revere, I believe? The technique? Oh, sorry, what was that? The the the, uh, the resurrection technique was called Revere? Revere? Yeah, it's like that. Um, I could never use it because I was a because I was a hunter. My sister was my sister was a force. The you know magic using class, the technique using class. And so yeah, the, basically the way char- the way um, Fantasy Star Online did like character classes was a little unusual. There were there are three primary races in in the Fantasy Star Online universe. There's the um, the humans, the casts, which are basically androids for all intents and purposes, and um, Newmans, who are kind of like gel- genetically modified humans with elf ears ears. Um, and the way they kind of handled character classes was there they were different combinations of race, gender, and class, either ranger force or hunter. Mm-hmm. And their stat growth between all, oh God, I think there were 12 of them in total, was ever so slightly different. Uh, I think it was 12 to start with. It was yeah, and, then fran- and then I think episode, it was... Yeah, episodes 1 and 2 added more, and then 0 would add even more, but yeah. Yeah, I and they're, 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 they're kind of like, their overall stat growths were, were slightly different. Um, so that the, I think the human hunter male class, um, I think had, was it slightly more defense than the human hunter female I think so. Well, the female like, had. Well, there's no hunter human female. They only the uh, Newman, the Hunier. Yeah, that was. They didn't ha- introduce the Humoral until episode not episode zero. Um, Fantasy Star Zero. Oddly enough. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. So yeah, they had a kind of unusual approach to character classes. Also, um, I believe certain which was it? Certain force classes were a little better at certain techniques than others. For instance, the the force human female, the Fomoral was really good at using Brant, the light technique, like a 50% boost compared to other classes. While the um, the Newman male force, the Phonuum, I guess you pronounce that, had the 30% boost to Rafoy, Razonde, and Rabarda, and stuff like that. That was kind of neat. Oh, Newmans could also generate TP by standing still, and androids could regenerate HP by standing still. And how effective is the regeneration? Uh- how long gets, are you going to be standing there? It gets faster the higher level you are. So at first, it's kind of like you'll be standing there for a long, a long while. Well, maybe not that long a while because you had a lot smaller HP MP bars. But at higher levels, you could, well, like maybe it, it's still faster, I guess. But it's not like you'll be standing there for, you know, half a sec, half a minute, and then you're ready to go. You'll probably still be standing around for at least a minute. And hoping yeah, that you don't log out. <laughs> I think um, the, the way they kind of enforced sort of um, like kind of diversity was less um, a kind of function of your character class and then like abilities that your character got and more that uh, there were just like a very large selection of weapon types to choose from. Yeah. Like oh, hunters. The- sorry, I was going to say hunters had access like to, to I think it's fist weapons, swords, partisans, um, double and sabers, daggers. daggers and a bunch of other stuff. Um and while that, like your attack options were fairly limited, um, you still had the advantage of being able to use magic. Or if you were a, a cast, you had placeable traps. I was about to um, say earlier. Some also for the forces, they get there are certain techniques only forces can use that none of the other non-force class can use. Like the aforementioned uh, rev- the reversing technique, the light technique grants, and the dark like the one-hit KO dark technique Megid. Plus, they can use techniques higher than level 20, because 
in this game to teach yourself your techniques, you have to find these items called the discs. And each disc has a higher, like there are different levels, level one, level two, level 13, what have you. And you use those on yourself to teach yourself a technique. Non-force classes can only go up to level 20, force classes can go up to 30. And I'm expecting that the, the spells between 20 and 30 are most assuredly powerful enough to make it worth your while to use them. Oh yeah. Yeah, so much so that I think in one of the, the, the remake versions, they upgraded the like the, the spell animations for spell levels above 20. Oh yes, and episodes 1 and 2. Yeah, that was on the, that's the GameCube one, if yes. we're keeping track here. Well, okay, are we ready to enlighten the public as to the grandiose and I'm, no, I'm sure com- continually fascinating story of online? I, well, it's not, I mean, it's indirect, but it's actually a pretty interesting story when, it, when you can kind of flesh it out and get it all there in the open. Well, I yeah, guess so. It, it, considering how long it often is between story segments, how long would you actually need to see the whole thing? Um, Basic, oh, sorry. Go on. Oh, oh, go on. Okay. Uh, basically, there's like, if you're just going through the base game, uh, you're probably not going to get much in the way of actual direct story told to you. You have to find it in through like these um, I don't, like these objects on the ground that a character, that an NPC before you had left behind as she explains things about the background. Also, you have to play the uh, side quests to get a bit more of the plot. So again, it's a very indirect sort of storytelling method, which continues into episode two. Yeah, basically, okay. you can you can it's it's sort of structured so that the the, the main thrust of the storyline is is delivered through these message capsules, which are pretty much always on like kind of the path that you would take through the sort of semi-randomized levels. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the kind of side story that kind of builds up the sort of the sort of huge the background to the whole thing, um, you kind of have to go through into the side quests for yeah. Sounds like then there are almost no cutscenes, but if you want to delve into the world of online, then there's plenty of side information for you to discover. That's for sure. Okay. So, so what, what is the story? Yeah, we're we're on the spoiler RPG <laughs> backtrack. We we just got to do this. It's what we do. Okay. Well, let's see here. Uh, Fantasy Star Online starts out with a, a people from a planet that is on the verge of destruction, although. I think this is... I don't know where it comes from. It might, I think it comes from online quests and such. You find out that the planet has been... The planet's called Coral, although you don't learn about this until um, episode two, I think, the name. And there's been... They, the people there have been in this constant, long war, and so a group of people just wanted to escape from Coral and start their own colony. So for this, they build two ships, the Pioneer 1 and the Pioneer 2. They find a planet that's habitable for human human life, and they send out Pioneer 1 to start the colony and Pioneer 2 to carry most of the colonists. Seven years later, when Pioneer 2 finally arrives on the planet they call Ragal, there's a mysterious explosion rocks the planet, and they try to communicate with the people of Pioneer 1, but there's no sign of them. They get no signals, there's nothing left behind, they don't know where they went. And from here, after you watch that initial cutscene in the beginning, this is when the story pretty much tapers off until you get to the side stuff and the message packs. The uh, principal, the guy who, he's called the principal even though he's like a governor of some sort of the ship, basically tells you or any other hunters, you know, go out there and try to find information on what happened to Pioneer 1. So through the... I was going to say, oh, and by the way, if you're down, when you're down there, can you try and find my daughter? She was on Pioneer 1, like... Ah, yeah, I was was getting to that. (laughs) Actually, he tries his best not to say that it's his secretary that tells you, please, please look for his daughter, Rico. And he's just like, could you look? No, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> but anyway, so through the backstory, you find out that, oh, I'm as well just going to Red Ring Rico. She's a famous hunter and scientist of Pioneer One. 
And all this while, you're essentially one step or a couple of steps behind her as she explores the areas you do and gives you some information on the monsters, on the area, and the mysterious explosion and weird stuff going on. As you go on the planet, you find out that the animals are going, they're more aggressive, they're going crazy, even the cute little rag rappies are attacking you. And then as you go on later, you find mutant monsters in the caves. And slowly you find out that, okay, there's like, there's so many, so many threads here, I'm trying to get my thoughts together. You eventually find out that the scientist of Pioneer One first created a strange monster called the Derole, which is a boss you fight in the caves level, that produces a substance that can mutate animals. Now, why do they do that? You don't, I don't think they ever say, but it, the implication is that they're trying to engineer something pretty major. So later on, uh, you follow behind Rico, you get into an area called the Ruins, which look, even though it says, even though they're ruins and supposedly there was no sign of intelligent life on that planet, it's actually not left behind by any civilization, but it's a giant spaceship from who knows where, although it looks like it might be from the original Fantasy Star um, solar system, the uh, Algol system. I don't know if that if that's, you know, true or if it's just a very big, you know, tongue-in-cheek sort of, hey, catch this reference thing. Could be either. I, Honestly, yeah. th those graphics are, when you translate them to Dreamcast level, the changes are going to be so massive that it would be pretty hard to pick out unless it was spoon-fed. Yeah, again, there's all sorts of probably crazy theories you could come up with, but that's beside the point. Anyway, in these ruins, Rico uncovers the reason for why they're on this planet. It turns out that they are a giant sort of uh, ceiling capsule containing Dark Falls. And that a people had encountered Dark Falls and couldn't defeat it and instead sealed it onto the ship and sent it off, hopefully into the vastness of space, and it just happened to land on this planet, which they just happened to find, which, by the way, is not really a coincidence. The, the, essentially, this, what I, they're implying, essentially, that the, the Pioneer Project wasn't just started as a colony, although that was a side benefit. It was essentially to try to find Dark Falls so they could control it, I guess? Because, you know, controlling Dark Gods is always easy. That and, sounds like the standard, I'm going to try and control this thing, which is far beyond my capacity to deal with, should it get out of my hands. Exactly, and the uh, Derole experiment was part of a sort of side plot that I don't think gets touched upon until episode two, which we can get into a little later. So anyway, you go, so anyways, you explore that, you find out that Rico was possessed by Dark Falls, and Dark Falls used her as his body, sort of like he does to the governor in, um, actually I think it's pretty much exactly like he does to the governor in the first fantasy star. So you fight Dark Falls, you defeat him, Rico is freed, and you, well, that's pretty much, it kind of ends there. And again, not really continued until episodes two and even episode three, when they kind of finally finish that little plot there. Yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Now, mm -hmm. of course, the way the way that this is presented is um, there are only... Hang on, let me count them up. One, two, and then one, two, one, two, three. There are actually only nine levels, like nine sort of dungeon areas. Forest one, forest two, caves one, caves two. Oh, no, wait, no, there is a caves three. So there are yeah, ten. there's a caves three. Yeah, and there's mines one, mines two, and then ruins one, two, and three. And three, And yes. what these are is all, all ten of those are fixed maps. But what changes every time you what every time you changes every time you play is the arrangements of like where you start, where you end, the position of loot boxes, enemies, and whatnot changes every time you play. Um, there, they, well, I say the reason why I said semi-random was that the arrangements usually come in like a set of. Um, it's not like truly random. There's like a sort of a number of patterns, and it picks one. Yeah. So after so after a while of of playing online, after you've sort of particularly one maybe once you've cleared normal or once you've cleared hard, you've probably actually seen most of the arrangements that the dungeons like take 
outside of quests. Quest, what number of the quests do is they use the, the maps um, from the single-player game and the main game, and then they just sort of section bits of them off with barriers and stuff and input NPCs in them for you to talk to and stuff. So, yeah. Um... I think about I think that really kind of about covers it really. I mean yeah, all, you, all you do all you really do then is you just basically run the run that as a kind of dungeon. A bit like how Diablo was basically one dungeon with multiple different locale lookings. Fancy Star Online is is basically just one dungeon with some some different sort of locales in. Mm-hmm. So um, what does episode 2 bring to the table? Uh, is it still all in the same area or does it broaden the scope? It's the it cl- goes to a different part of the uh of Ragall. It's it's specifically okay. an island, Galdaval Galdaval Island, where you find out that there wait, should I go into the store or should I go into the I'm not really sure. Why not? <laughs> okay, fine, plot-wise. It, it came out so soon after the first part that I doubt the gameplay no, changes. There's a different thing on we need to, yeah, we need to define a difference here between episode two and version two. Um, version two was basically an updated version of the original Dreamcast version. That all it really did was, um, I think, it corrected a few bugs here and there, um, upped the level cap from one hundred to two hundred, added the ultimate difficulty mode, and therefore added some also some some new loot that could only drop from the ultimate. Oh, it added new like, monsters too. Like every, almost yeah. all the monsters were changed. Yeah, in, in in ultimate mode, all all of the monsters, including the bosses, with the exception of the final boss, uh, all have like different skins. They do mostly the same thing. Yeah, but there I mean, are, some there are like some. They they attack slightly differently, and they they their stats are like through the damn roof as well. And a lot of them use that annoying Negid one hit KO technique. Yeah. Mm, looking at yeah, you, that, that's fun. And, uh, okay, that brings up the idea. How does Fantasy Star Online handle it when you get killed and you're playing solo? If you're killed and playing solo, you can get warped back to the to Pioneer 2, the ship. But you lose all of your um, meseta, all the money that you have on you. All of it. But you can't keep Ooh. all the, like, you keep your levels. All the monsters that you've already defeated, all the loot you've already gotten, you still have it on you. And you've beaten those monsters, you can just run through the area. No problems. Um- doesn't the even in single player? Doesn't your money drop like next to your body, or is that only in multiplayer? That might well be in multiplayer, or maybe that's just a Dreamcast. I know in a GameCube one, your money is gone. Oh god! Uh, but you can store your money in a bank. Yes, so it, yes, there's a lot. bank, so keep you know save it. Although it's a pretty small limit. Well, maybe not pretty small, but I know I reached it a long time ago. Like nine hundred ninety-nine thousand. Or do you just one bank? So once okay. you reach nine hundred ninety-nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine Mercedes, that's all you can keep in the bank. So if you had like a couple of hundred thousand on you, it's gone if you die. Well, nine 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 sounds like a pretty big number, without some context. Uh-huh. Uh, how, mu- how much do things typically cost? Uh, to be frank, I guess you don't really need that money after a while because all the best weapon, well. All the best weapons you're going to find dropped, of course. Although, yes, you will want to buy, you know, um, the monomates and... Yeah, the healing items. I forget what the, um, the the ones that cured MP were. Mono rats. Try... Uh, so, uh, they, I, wow, I can't... Uh, either way, you had ones that restored MP, and especially if you were a force, you wanted a lot of those. Yeah. Oh, did we, go in, yeah. we didn't go into the mags. Ooh, yep. Oh, Remember yeah, mags. mags. Yeah. Now, mags. Mags are interesting. Mags were one of the way. Were, were, were kind of like mags were interesting, and they were they kind of handled the the, the almost the same thing that um, I suppose you could call, probably call them an analog to like t- almost like talent trees. What they what mags did was um, they were an item that you got given fairly early in the game, and you fed them items. 
Um, and they, your items would be gone forever if you fed them to your mag. Your mag would would eat anything, you know. If you, and if you fed it to your mag, you're, you're not getting well, back. Not weapons. Oh, do you just not feed weapons? Oh, do you not feed weapons to your mag? No, just in... stuff like the monomates. Oh, fluids. The the ones that are stored MP were fluids. Mono fluids, diff fluids, and uh, yeah, yeah, and like the and like the um anti paralysis and anti poison and other stuff like that. Just you know healing items. Yeah, and basically what these would do is they would boost the stats on your mag. Um, different items would boost different stats. They would increase some and reduce others. They kind of worked on this kind of little bar mechanic so that when the bar was full, um, it would in it would up that, that bar's stat by one or whatever. And I, as far as I remember, the, the mag stats were then added to your character stats on a one-for-one -one basis. I think so, or close enough. Yeah. So, for example, like your your technique stat. If you were a force, you would feed items to your mag that would up your technique stat, and your mag would then get more technique points, and that would add on to your character's stats. Mm -hmm. um, and what happened was, is as these mags kind of started lo looking like kind of like little tadpole-like things, and then depending on what stats were predominant in their stat growth, they'd grow into different forms, and there were like I don't know, like something like forty variants or something. Yeah, it's probably. I'm sure there was more added in episode two as well. Yeah, and then what happened was was um, the the mags would eventually learn their own abilities. They would be able to give you like um, in, uh, temporary invulnerability when a boss fight started. Yeah, especially the summoning. You... They called them yeah. photon blasts. Yeah, they they they'd gain something called a photon blast, which required building up almost like a kind of limit break gauge. But they'd also mm -hmm. provide you with occasional like they'd cast um, shifter and deband oh, on yes, you, that's which right. and they make you temporarily vulnerable and such. Yeah, usually at the start of boss fights, uh, and yes. like different different mag growths did these like support functions in different ways, like at different times. Some some of them would do it really rarely, and some of them would do it all the time. And then Sega realized that they were onto like a good marketing thing here, and they released several. If you played the game online, you could do like special quests, and several of these would award special uh, mag, like special mags, which included the mag was always floated by your character's right shoulder, and Sega released ones um, that were like there was a Sega Master System, there was a Dreamcast one, there was a um, an Opa Opa, I think there was a Chow one. Um, oh, there were a bunch of others as well. The, the the special quest that always stuck out in my mind was um, one which took place on the forest map, which was basically just a wholesale reference to Burning Rangers, including the theme song. Uh -huh. <laughs> that was amazing. Well, yeah, Yuji Naka was involved in the development of online, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and Sonic Team in general. Yeah, Burning Rangers. Uh, I should go back to that sometime. I, I guess I just wasn't at the right point in my life to try it. But of course, it's super expensive now. It's a Saturn <laughs> game from the last releases on the system across the ocean. Divergence complete. Oh, speaking of quests, there was this kind of very. There's this pretty neat um, extended reference to the first Fantasy Star. There is one quest that required you to get cake for a person named Treka. She really wants cake, and apparently there's strict. There's like very strict restrictions on um, like bait, like baked goods and such on the ship. There, for some reason, three sisters have set up a cake shop in the the caves area. At the very end of it, the third one, each one takes like an hour to get through. And so you run through this with tons of monsters, all to get somebody cake. Essentially, it's a reference to that quest. You, uh, that quest you have to do in Fantasy Star One to get cake. To go, you go through a long quest to get cake for the governor, so you could see the governor. I think it was a reference in Fantasy Star Four as well. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that there was cake in Fantasy Star One. I, I don't remember the details. 
but yeah, basically yeah. it's just one big reference to that. Kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, before before we move on, I was just quickly going to discuss um, Sega's netcode was not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, <laughs> if you played the game online and you somehow disconnected without uh, basically the quit option would save your character to the um, ah uh, crap, what's the name of the Dreamcast memory stick thing again? Yeah, memory oh, stick yeah. Dreamcast. The MU. The MU. The MU. Yeah. VMU. Um, basically, if you didn't select that option and you disconnected, or you you know you reset your Dreamcast or something, the game would wipe your inventory, with the exception of the the weapon and armor and shield that you had equipped. Um, That's a pretty big bug. Ouch. Now the 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 netcode was fairly susceptible to um um you know the the netcode was fairly susceptible to like um effectively disk cheat codes you know like uh, action replay stuff to the extent where people created codes that basically if they um removed an item from the bank it would cause someone else in the party to disconnect um what a more yeah exactly <laughs> Now, a more insidious version of this one appeared as something called an NOL code. Now, NOL was the name of an NPC uh, in the game, a low-level one, level 5. Um, it was She had a, uh, the Newman Hunter model. And basically, a code was created that meant that when they took an item out of the inventory, someone else in the connected online party would have their character data overridden by this character called NOL, which was level 5. Um, oh if joy! You, if you <laughs> saved and quit through the regular options, your character—this would actually overwrite your character data completely. If you disconnected, then you just lose your inventory, which meant that it got to the point where, in the kind of the later stages of Fancy Star Online's sort of life cycle, um, I was actually using my own action replay just to use codes that prevented this from happening to, like, effectively patch holes in Sega's netcode. It was uh, it was a little silly. Wow. Uh, silly is not the first adjective that comes to mind when describing something like that. <laughs> well, you know what would have helped with that? A revolution. What? Maybe even a a card revolution. Oh, we haven't we haven't gotten episode two yet. Hold oh on. come on. <laughs> We've got like eighteen more of these to go. <laughs> Just a Don't little worry, seriously. We, we, won't, we won't be long on episode three. Yeah, not very long. All right. Okay, so episode two then? Yep. yep. We're, we're okay. switching over to the GameCube now, right? Yes. Or should we do the stats on that? Well, I think I, we I mentioned it already because I thought they were kind of going together since it both it said they're both on the Dreamcast and it's one right after the other, like a few months apart. So. No, no episodes episodes one and two on the GameCube, and it was on the Xbox as well. Oh, uh, let's see here. I've got. Wait, we've got Fantasy Star Online version 2, so we're not talking about that? We we talked about That's, that. Okay. Episodes 1 and 2. Well, it just says Online version 2 on here, so I was just kind of going with that. So there's like, this is different than that. Well, maybe, I'll just go on with it then. Oh, and then so it anyway, says episode... Nintendo, and then it does say, well, it says it was on the Dreamcast and the Nintendo GameCube, where it, okay. it says Nintendo GameCube episodes 1 and 2. Yes. So that's why I kind of thought it was all one enchilada. But I guess not. Well... Yeah, it's a little confusing. Yeah. It's basically the GameCube version plus an expansion on it. Uh, don't you mean Dreamcast version plus an expansion? Yeah, I... you're right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm... Okay. So yeah, Episode 1 is basically the Dreamcast version 2, and then Episode 2 was the new stuff that they put in on the GameCube version. Yes. And... This was the one and only thing on the GameCube that used a modem, right? And episode three. <laughs> right. 
nothing else on that system ever went online. Yeah, pretty much. Didn't they? Really? I think, was, I think it was one or two things in Japan, but definitely not outside of that. Yeah, I mean, because I, I actually almost considered getting the broadband adapter for episode one and two on the GameCube, but then I ended up just not playing it that much. <laughs> I would have gotten it, but I was still rather young, and my mother and father didn't want me to use their credit card. Yeah, that, that was also a deciding factor. Well, had you gotten it, I, I'm pretty sure this is the only thing you would have used it for. Uh-huh. Yeah, because as we know, Nintendo is very online friendly even now. But hey, you know, I was at the time I was dedicated enough to buy a one of those Dreamcast keyboards so I could talk to people on Fantasy Star Online the original. And how much was that? Uh, not a lot actually. It, it, how did the keyboard attach the Dreamcast through another controller? Uh, regular port? controller port. Oh, well, that that's actually pretty handy. Yeah, I've, I've, I actually still have the keyboard like in my house somewhere. Oh, wow, it won't work but... with anything else because the as I say, <laughs> yeah. it will only fit a Dreamcast controller port. <laughs> no, and. The Dreamcast hasn't been online in at least 10 years, I think even more than that. <laughs> no, although it is possible to hack the like, using the same codes sim- or similar codes, it is possible to get the Dreamcast to connect to private servers now. Mm-hmm. And there you are... Do the same thing with the GameCube. <laughs> yeah, there are people still playing it to this day. That's... Not very many, but they're <laughs> but there. Sega has a very dedicated fan base. Yes. Okay, enough derailments. Yes. Okay, episode two. Story takes place pretty much right after episode one ends. You're asked by the lab to run some tests first. It's two kind of largely, at least story-wise, pointless um, VR levels, they call them. There's a temple and a spaceship. I think there's supposed to be references, again, to the older games. The temple being the final level of Fantasy Star 3 and the spaceship being the final level, the the spaceship Noah in Fantasy Star 2. What's really neat is that the... yeah. I was also going to say, yeah, Temple and Spaceship were also PvP-only levels in the Dreamcast version. They they, oh. actu- they actually reused the maps on those. Oh, I had no idea. That's pretty cool. Yeah. They had some amazing music themes, which you're, you guys will probably end up listening to, because I'm going to suggest both of them for you. Yeah, I was going to suggest uh, at least a few of those. Uh, because what's really neat is that they have remixes of the original Fantasy Star music in there. Um, you can hear the, the tower theme from the first game, the battle theme from the second game. And some other some other pieces that I can't quite know the, the names of, but they're again pretty cool there. So anyway, after you you completed those VR levels, you find out from the lab that they've gotten messages from a man they thought was long dead. His name is Heathcliff Flowen, and he was a, 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 some kind of high-ranking soldier. And anyway, you, you all, just like with Rico, you have to follow and you read his messages on these computer port things, and you find out that he was a, he like he went down to the ruins back in episode 1 and got attacked by dark falls and the monsters there and he got infected by something uh by some substance while there and then the scientists are interested and they ask him to please can we use your body for science and the, he's just like okay fine but please tell pioneer 2 not to land on this planet and get the heck out of here and that never happened and essentially they turned him into a monster olga flow which is this the game this uh episode's final boss I think what they were trying to do is create a man-made Dark Falls, and of course that went about as well as you could expect it to. And at the end of the episode, you uh, you go down, you beat Olga Flow, and you know everything's good, and then everything, at least for the, that time being, seems to be good. Yeah, even short, shorter recap. There's kind of less in the way of story in episode two, other than Heathcliff flowing. Oh, he's also sort of a second father to Re- to Red Ring Rico, or something the like that. Heathcliff makes me think of a certain orange cat. Yeah, that's that's the first thing I thought about as well. <laughs> And then after I saw Weathering Heights, it makes me think of a character in that. Mm -hmm. 
So, episode, but episode two, um, otherwise it it added it added a couple new of uh, those the character classes. We kind of went over those already. Some new weapons, few new quests. Uh, there's a pretty long one that you can only get in like a sort of this ex, this extra game they released a few years later called episodes one and two plus. I think it was downloadable, but as I didn't as I couldn't get my GameCube online at the time, it was kind of cool for me to pick that up Wait, a few years after the fact. Downloadable on the GameCube? Wow. Oh yeah, they had downloadable quests. No, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, th I thought that the whole thing was downloadable. Oh, no, 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 no. It was an actual disc version of it. In fact, I have it, episodes one and two plus. But it had a quest on the disc that was download only once upon a time. Wow. If it wasn't for Sega, the GameCube wouldn't have had anything online. <laughs> Pretty much. And I guess we can go on episode three now. Yeah, because basically the gameplay and whatnot from Thing is just episode two. Oh, sorry, from is the original. It, it's the original. basically exactly the same. Hmm. But this next one doesn't look the same because it's a revolution. It's a card does revolution. Does it have a prince? It, it, does it have a prince to go with the revolution? It's cards. <laughs> yeah. Mike, do you have faith in the heart of the cards? Um, sometimes. Okay. This could. I actually see this playing as an actual physical card game the way it plays out. I could see this happen. I actually have um, the soundtrack to the game that has replicas of the cards in there. <laughs> we are talking about Fantasy Star Online 3 card, C-A-R-D with little dots in between, Revolution. This is developed by the Sonic Team, published by Sega, released here in North America on March the 2nd, 2004 for your GameCube Entertainment System. This is a single and multiplayer RPG experience coming to you on one fabulous GameCube game disc. Yeah, what do they call those mini DVD ROMs? Yeah. So I mean, card battle, card games continue to uh, to uh, dominate uh, sales charts. Uh, Magic: The Gathering has, uh, I dare say, I don't think it's been stronger. I'm not sure because I mean it's it's been going strong for some time. Pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh have their place as well as well as a number of other up and coming card games. Uh, the collectible or the, what we call the deck building games came into prominence a, a few years back with the uh, with the advent of Dominion. So and then here, but when it comes to the video games, it's kind of a smattering. Uh, unless you're talking about a Magic: The Gathering conversion on the iPad or the PS3 or something, we've been kind of limited in the RPG perspective to uh, a few. A few things here and there, like uh, one of my favorite games of all time, Coldcept, um, which I've talked about before and I'll talk about it again at some point. But uh, so, so tell me, what is this game? Is it really about cards or is it just in the title for show? Uh, it's about cards. Basically, there's been a, quote, a revolution where they, you can store items and even um, like monsters and other creatures onto cards and you can make them materialize and use them later. And... Uh, and that's how, the, that's how the battles fight out. There's two main groups, the Hunters and the Arcs. The Hunters could use weapon, like cards that had weapons on them, while the Arcs had cards that had monsters on them. And you could... I can't really remember how the gameplay went out. It's been so long, and while I did enjoy it, it was... I don't know, it's just not entirely memorable, but... Like, they faced each other. You had... Each card had a limited amount of time to get the hit before it disappeared, and then you had to attack the actual human player. Mm-hmm. And, I don't know, some other kind of cardy stuff. There was dice. Um, I, I really wish I... I should have read up more on this, but I don't... So, and plus, it's, it's kind of complicated. And each battle takes a long time. So, you don't just have to have faith in the heart of the cards. You also need faith in the heart of your dice. Yeah. To win the day. <laughs> Sorry, I can't stop it with all the Yu-Gi-Oh! references. 
Um. Hey, at least they weren't on motorbikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I'm still good. I get confused once I get past the first few episodes. I, I swear, the new seasons, I lost track. Oh, yeah, th- Wheelie 3DO. And, uh. Anyway, so. Do I have to schedule a Yu Gi Oh episode so we can just get all that get, out? Get, the open get, get, you know, actually, it would be more of a therapy session for me than anything else because I've been scarred trying to watch some of those shows and, uh, and what play some think? of those more modern games. Like the three. I got the Wheelie 3D because I do love. You know, card games. That's that's no secret. Any card RPG variants that you combine those two, I love them to death. Uh, so I really did my best to try to get into uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! And, um, yeah, I think I need counseling, Mike. Well, okay. As part of the therapy session, we are going to have to discuss this at length in the future. Yeah. But the future is not now. No, no, we're on a. We're in the present. We're the present on a timetable. So did this at least? Okay, so it sounds like the the battle system was, and this does happen with a lot of card games where uh, they'll they tend to get a little bit too long in the tooth and move. Uh, uh, the the pacing becomes a bit too deliberate. Um, yeah. So it, it may it sounded like it was a pretty non memorable experience for you, but was there a decent story or characters or anything along those lines to you know make you want to drag yourself through that mess? There were some NPCs, and they... I mean, I remember I, it was enough to get me through at the time, but years after the fact, I can only remember the sort of basic story. There was all sorts of character drama. They had all this history between the arcs and the, the hunters and conspiracies and all sorts of stuff that I really can't remember at the top of my head right now. Mm. You can see how much of an impression this lasted. I I did think it was kind of neat how it tied back into episodes one and two. And sort of... It sort of got in the open that we kind of knew already that... There was a government conspiracy that they went to Ragall not just to find a colony, but to find Dark Falls and to either control it or to create something just like it so they could rule the universe or I don't know. Hmm. And if, then essentially you sort of put a stop to Dark Falls and Olga Flow once and for all because there was some, some creature, some substance that could regenerate into Dark Falls if left alone and they essentially find it and destroy it. That's what I can remember from the, from the story. And for me, I was just gonna say, and for me, I took one look at it and just went, nope. Yeah. Sorry. I may have been a big fancy star fan, but I hadn't got into, I didn't get into card games until I started playing Magic: The Gathering uh, at university, which was over a decade later. Whoa, whoa! There was a game called Magic: The Gathering University. No, as in, I started playing at a university. Uh, oh, at a university. Oh, okay, I was about to say. Whew, I, I, I'm big into card games, so I like to, or at least the video game adaptations. I got out of the physical addictions because they were getting prohibitively expensive. Um, so I was like, wait, that's a new game. I've never heard of that one. So <laughs> anyways. Um, so unfortunately, it doesn't sound like this one was as much fun to y'all as the uh, the first two parts then. Enough to, for me to get through the game. There was some decent music, but again, did not leave much of an impression. In fact, I didn't touch it for years because I thought card game, no way. Then I played Bon Kaitos and decided to give it a shot. Well, I 
remember more about Bot and Kaitos than I did about episode three. Well, it, it kind of looks like the reviewers are, are agreeing with you as well. Uh, pretty much mi- mixed results um, from the critics. Uh, everything from uh, a three out of five to uh, a, you know, which for the re- you know for everybody outside of RP Gamer, that's usually pretty mediocre. Um, to uh, to a, an eight point five from IGN, which IGN gives everybody above an eight unless your game really sucks. So, <laughs> <laughs> but. Um, uh, I think uh, GameSpy might have said it best in agreeing with you here, where they say every element is solid but unexceptional. Yeah, pretty much. Sounds about right. Yeah, it just kind of, it just sort of happened. And those are some of the worst games for us to talk about here on RPG Backtrack because we love to rant about the really bad games and we love to gush about the really good games. But when it comes to games that are just kind of mediocre, you just go meh. Yeah, just not a lot to say there. Pretty much. Yeah. We're going to take a teeny tiny break and let you listen to some of that wonderful uh, music that Mr. Jonathan is going to recommend that I'm going to record and stick in between here. Uh, but don't run away too quickly. We will return with more Fantasy Star Online. Boink. talk about some more fantasy star online many people may not know this but there was a a fourth version or fourth what did you want to say it was episode Episode four four, fourth episode yeah now this is actually quite unusual this is quite weird considering what would eventually happen sometime around the whole episode one episode two a little bit time after that i can't remember the exact specifics um sega released a surprisingly competent port of fantasy star online for pc um, which I had a copy of, and it was good. I mean, why surprisingly competent? Well, I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> this was back in the time when console ports were very hit and miss, and they still are to an extent. Um, it's kind of foreshadows uh, to, for me now, looking back at it. It's kind of foreshadows that eight years later or whatever, um, Sega would release some f- absolutely stunningly good PC ports of games like Sonic Generations and um, Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing Transformed, whose PC ports are absolutely amazing in their quality. And I wasn't expecting. <laughs> but anyways. Fancy Star Online continued a lot inside Japan. It, it kind of tapered off a little after Episode 3 kind of semi-killed it sort of thing in, in the US and Europe. In Japan, Fancy Star Online just, 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 just kept on going and going and going and going. 
And the PC version was, I think, was kind of routinely updated. And then eventually they released a version of it called Fancy Star Online Blue Burst, which contained, uh, I think, all of the previous stuff, except the card stuff, and then this new Episode 4, which I think basically just kind of rounded the entire plot out with this very meta explanation that... um, by repeatedly ki- by people repeatedly killing the two previous final bosses from episode one and two, um, they were kind of making them more powerful. Yeah, that was covered extent. in episode three with the uh, g- the germ that they had to defeat so they could they could finally defeat Dark Falls once and for all. Yeah, they ported. I think they ported that story into episode uh. four. They kind of uncardified it. I think that's how I think that's how it worked. Anyway, I actually I didn't get far in Blue Burst anyway. So and I was playing on a private server. Um, I I, I kind of tape it off tape it off Fancy Star by that point and I was playing other games but that's basically why I'm... Fancy Star Online basically basically speaking was always always like amazingly popular in Japan and that's that's kind of how it lived on sort of thing yeah I think we're going to address that how it's really popular in Japan thing when we get to Fancy Star Portable won't we <laughs> or, or at least tangentially yeah pretty much huh well, okay, so... No, nothing else? Now for universe, PC, I think? PC Fantasy Star Online players there are, but not so much outside of Japan. Mm. I think I oversee... I think... Let me double-check. I think I still see it on Steam once in a while. Let me just... Let me, Fantasy Star? Yeah, yeah. I, I could be wrong. I, you know, I, I see a lot of stuff on Steam, and I get confused after a while. It, it doesn't take much, really. Uh, they got... By the way, they got this, the this e, much we know. They got the E-series of games on sale for 66% off, but it won't, won't be on sale by the time this recording goes up. Hey, look at that. Trying 2 for two ninety nine. dollars hmm, That might be a good giveaway but, later on. Okay, so Fantasy Star. Fantasy. Fantasy Star 2, 3, and 4. Oh, wait. This isn't online. It's just the Fantasy Star games. The originals. Yeah, yeah they'll sell those real old, old, what? old originals, wait, but not the online wait, games. You... You mean that the Fantasy Star games which were on Genesis are on Steam now? That seems like a programming feat that would have taken years. I can't believe it. Yeah, or two seconds for me to download for an emulator. Yeah, I was going to say, I think, yeah. Um, well, sarcasm aside, I think Fantasy Stars 1 and 1 through 4 are available on Steam. They're part of the, the bunch of the other Mega Drive stuff that they've added to the service over yeah, the last couple they, of years. they finally kind of figured out that emulation really isn't that difficult if people, you know, can do it at home. So, hey, yeah, how do we monetize it? For it. People might pay for computer versions of these games they missed out on. Hmm, go figure. Yeah, turn-based RPGs. There's really not much in the way of controls to alter for your keyboard. Hmm. It's time to think bigger. It's time to think larger. It's time to think universe. Fantasy Star Universe, developed by Sonic Team, published by Sega. Big surprises there. This uh, this is a PlayStation 2 and PC release. Came in- Wait, does Sonic Team still exist? Hasn't Sega restructured all oh, its development I'm teams? I'm sure they times by don't now? exist anymore. Yeah. I don't think they exist. Okay, we are interrupting the spiel here, people. We forgot the format. I, I just of the wanted show. to have some idea of how long they're going to be developed by Sonic Team before, oh, before we, Sega changes the name. Before we run into the one that, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, this was uh, this was uh, released in North America on October 24th, 2006, and then uh, also on the Xbox 360 on the same day. Actually, I see that little bit listed a little bit later on here. And also, and PS2. Yeah, well, PS2. Yep, yep. And this yeah, is a single and multiplayer action RPG experience coming to you on DVD ROM. So let's talk about Fantasy Star Universe. It's so big. They even got rid of the online, just made it universe. It's so big that we don't have a staff review of it. It's so big we don't have a staff review. <laughs> wow, that that's a retro review waiting to happen, Miki. Now, um, I'm just trying to remember. Fancy Star Online Universe. Sorry, Fancy Star Online Universe. Fancy Star Universe was slightly different in the. Um, I think they tried to kind of. 
incorporate more of a single player story into it in the um for without its expansion pack its expansion pack did things differently um the main you actually played at, like a pre-generated character in the in the single player story for Fantasy Star Universe mm-hmm. whereas on the online mode of course you 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 know you got all the full um you know character, character uh, like character creation options um and as far as the, the like the overall setting is concerned it kind of felt like um i don't know like a sort of alternate universe retelling of like i don't know Fantasy Star 2 maybe never played it so i really have no idea yeah now basically the, the, um like the the, the game start the, the story starts on a, a a space station but there are three planets which have names similar to the ones from the original algol system mm-hmm. except the one in universe is called the gohal system and the planets are called param new dice and moatube that sounds um, even further afield than the ones in the original, the first online. Yeah, and I think the Moatube. Like, yeah, and the the origins of the of the various um, like races, I think, are, are slightly changed from um, Fancy Star Online. So I think it does take place in a kind of like alternate continuity kind of thing. Probably. Um, however, I think most of the like the the the, the Hunters Guild, which was the like the the primary uh, organization that the player character was a part of in Fantasy Star Online has now been replaced by the Ominous Guardians which of course is written in all caps naturally um, and the the main character in the single player game is a member of them and of course the player characters that you create for the multiplayer are also a member of this large group And um, as far as I remember the, the, the game is actually fairly similar to Fantasy Star Online like um Sort of gameplay, kind of like mechanically wise, like all you're still all you're still doing is going through semi-randomized dungeons and looting stuff. Um, what they changed was how the um, like the the actual combat mechanics worked, and um, God, what uh, it, I think the the, the storyline, at least in the single player mode, admittedly I did not get particularly far in it. Um, was a little bit more I don't know involved perhaps. It wasn't like all locked away in side quests. Mm. You know, you, the, the storyline in the single player mode was kind of more presented to you. Um, now, as far as I remember, I didn't know. Again, I did not get into Fancy Star Universe much, but the main um, one of the main changes that they made to the equipment system is something that I think they carried over into into Portable and Portable Two, which were released after. Which um, you could actually equip uh, diff- if, uh, one-handed, different one-handed weapons like separately, so it was possible to wield a, a beam sword in one hand and a pistol in the other. And that kind of changed how you attacked and stuff, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I didn't um, sort of, I didn't get that far into Universe before I stopped. I bought like a really cheap copy of it at some point and just sort of didn't really play it. Again, I think I was busy with other games. 2006 kind of strikes me as like the tail end of my Final Fantasy XI play. So yeah. Oh, yeah, and it's kind of hard. Dark... It's kind of hard to do two big online games at the same time. And uh, all I can, the other thing I can remember is Dark Force is back. Woo! <laughs> what Wait, is it Dark Force or Dark Falls? I think it's Dark, dark Force. Fall. This... Dark okay. Fall. I don't know. I, I think it's dark... dark Falls. It, I think Universe is Force. It uh, is actually Force. Maybe, maybe. Well, Dark Force never died before. Why should it die now? <laughs> exactly. 
Well, they did supposedly defeat it in episode three or episode four or whatever, so... Ah, uh, yeah, but this is now alternate universe, so exactly. they can resurrect them again. Well, something funny happens in Zero, but we'll get to that later. Yeah. Hmm. Well, okay, sounds sounds like it didn't take us very long to cross the universe. I was about to say, nope. how did how did no. the universe take so much less time than... I'm thinking this is going to be here till like 11 o'clock tonight. Uh, Y'all are scaring me just a little bit. So, okay, let me just ask you a question. I know you kind of touched it on a little bit, but... You know, the game has a single player kind of offline mode, right? And then the online mode, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was still that separation in play. Do you, do, you, do you feel that the single player experience was compelling, given the fact that the online servers, if you know, are offline? If somebody was to go back and play this, uh, no, probably not. I, I, well, I'll put it this way: it did not bring me in any. It did not, like kind of like drag me in anyway. Hmm. Interesting. So, the official RPG backtrack recommendation on this one is a deny. <laughs> Pass it up. Yeah. Fair enough. But, it, you know, it was it was definitely an interesting part of, of uh, you know, RPG Gamer history. Um, as, uh, as Well, in- geez, it was it was a JRPG that got an Xbox release. That's, yeah. <laughs> that's a fairly uncommon. Yeah. That's an accomplishment right there, not to mention being well, online. The 360 just- saw some, but especially in more recent years, not much. No, I mean, the 360, yeah, you could, gosh, let me think for a second here, you could almost Last Remnant, uh, Blue Dragon, uh, a couple of others. Dysteria. Yeah, yeah, not a not a metric metric ton, but yeah, definitely well, the distinction of being an online game as well is huge. Basically, you can kind of tell how popular ver- the various things were um, due to when the servers were closed due to low populations for this one. Um, the North American and European servers for the PC version, and I think the PS2 version, were shut down, according to this at least, March 31st, 2010. Mm-hmm. PS2 support for the Japanese versions was disconnected on the April 14th, 2011, and the 360 servers were shut down on September 7th, 2012. So they were only down last year. The Japanese PC servers then closed later in September 2012. So mm-hmm. it hasn't actually been shuttered for a year yet. Hmm. Um... The other thing that should be mentioned is I think they took on board some criticisms about the original Fantasy Star Universe release and when the there was an expansion released called Ambition of the Illuminous um, which uh, basically it did still have a single player mode but let you create create a character for it and play through as that character as opposed to just lumping you with this default human guy Hmm well, that's a little disappointing. Oh, well, say lovey. Don't play that one. And the card one doesn't sound very exciting either. And I'm sure the other ones are too old to even think about. Maybe these... Episode 1 and 2 is still kind of fun, I think. Hmm. Even a single-player yeah, mode? A... Yeah, if you've got a game... I, well, I so. actually, actually, that's the thing that uh, I don't think we mentioned is... Okay. Um, because the GameCube had four controller ports... Uh, oh, yeah, episode local multiplayer. Local, had split-screen multiplayer, which the Dreamcast version didn't have. Hmm. Even though it had four controller ports. Even though it had four controller ports, yeah. I think that may have been a processing power thing more than anything else. Yeah, I can see that. Like, it couldn't... Uh, basically, because of texture culling, which was uh, presumably the way in which they kept the frame rate rates up, they couldn't have more than one player on a single console moving around in a certain area. Because the game un- like aggressively unloaded sections of the world as you passed through them. Whereas in the GameCube versions, they could you it could display more of the world at once, so you could have more than one player on the same screen on the same console, kind of thing. So yeah, so the older games may actually be more worth playing than the newer ones in this so far. 
I should mention that I did play maybe 15 minutes once of it was either episode one or episode two on the GameCube when somebody in my dorm just was had a session going and asked if I could help them out. And I remember almost nothing about it except that I whacked some stuff and uh, eventually got hit really hard and died. <laughs> but I, for the sake of completionism, I had to insert that here. So, oh boy. So I'm a little disappointed because every time I see a box with, uh, you know, cute ladies with really long ears at the front, I pretty much presume it's got to be a good game. So I just... I, That's your standard? I mean, that really is. I mean, gosh dang, when Burning Crusade come out, and on the front they had this blood elf chick with these huge ass ears that were bigger than my hand. I'm like, this game is going to be great. And you know what? It is. I mean, World of Warcraft Game Busters, and, you know, 80 million subscriptions and all that other fun stuff. But, you know, I'm getting a little disappointed with some of these fantasy online because I'm looking, and there's a lot of pointy ears on the cover of, of Card Revolution oh, and Universe. Phil, I'm going to have to show you some Shining games because those also have ladies with pointy Okay, ears. all right. You know, I that, mean... That, that automatically makes your blood boil, right? Well, it's not about making my blood boil. It's just that it must be a good game then, right? The long... <laughs> I'll get into that. You know, it's like when we went to... Uh, well, I'll talk about this more when we get to the uh, get to the uh, kitchen sink part of our podcast. But, you know, we found out when we went up north to Wyoming for our vacation that hotels are not rated by stars. They're rated by antlers. So I'm thinking RPG should be rated by how long these chicks' ears are. The longer the ear, the better the game must be. Or the more long ears. I guess you could do it by quantity as well. So well, the fantasy star Newmans do have long ears. So so if your ears make it difficult for you to walk through a doorway without banging something, then that's a recommendation. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm just absolutely. trying to be. I'm just trying to clarify. Um. So maybe what we need is to make the ears smaller. Now, I know that's blasphemy. Just just hear me out. What if we shrunk them down and put them in the palm of your hand with Fantasy Star Portable? You like these segues. They get better each time, don't they? Fantasy Star Portable. <laughs> this was uh, developed by Sonic. Oh, there's another Sonic team. Developed by Sonic team. Published by Sega. This was Sega. released in North America on March 3rd, 2009 for your PlayStation Portable gaming device. This single-player multiplayer RPG is action-oriented. And why? Because it's coming to you on one action UMD. Because if it's coming on a little disc, you know, inside of a big, huge-ass plastic case that it's glued to, that it must be awesome. You know, I still you know, got a whole I, bunch I, of I these recall, UMDs in my drawer over here, too. You know, for portable games, you know. I mean, they're like, I recall when Adrian reviewed this thing, uh-huh. somebody who had played the Japanese release yeah. commented upon it and here's how your experience could definitely be improved with Fantasy Star Portable. If you are in Japan, the likelihood that you are playing next to somebody who is in wireless range of your PSP and is also playing it will be uh, fairly good, especially if you're on a crowded train commute. Therefore, the ability for you to join in with others is there frequently. I don't think that applies anywhere outside of Japan, because as we have established, this series is quite popular in Japan, and its fan base, even if it had about the same amount of people scattered elsewhere, well, when you're dealing with countries larger than Japan, such as, say, Canada or the United States, let alone the UK, which actually isn't that much bigger than Japan, but I'm going to guess the wireless base of people with PSPs is significantly smaller, then your odds of finding people simultaneously playing Fantasy Star Portable, whom you can concurrently play with, uh, will be fairly small. Yeah, I mean, keep in mind, we're, we're talking about the PSP here. It it only has Wi-Fi. There's no 3G on this thing, unless you got that that 
PSP right, Go. We're talking, but we're talking about we're talking the UMD, which means, right, you're talking, it's a UMD game, which means it's for the original PSP, which means, yeah, you better hope Bob next to you that's less than 20 feet away with no big pieces of metal close by. <laughs> you know, you gotta you gotta hope he's playing Fantasy Star Portable at the, the same time there. But he probably... As we all know, also, okay. people... Okay. People play their PSPs in public. Mike, Mike, you said you said maybe this is kind of only big in Japan, but but what about what about the Asian section of like New York City? What do you think? You think they were all playing there? You know, in uh, Chinatown? I've never been to New York City. I couldn't say. Cassandra, okay. you've gone to Cassandra. New York City. Yes. Yes. Save um, us from I all of our. Can't say I've ever recalled too many people playing the PSP on anywhere the train on the train there on the subway. I mean, recently I've seen a spike in, uh, like, a, I've gotten 3DS street passes, but I don't know about the PSP. Actually, I can get quite a fair number walking around Manhattan. The 3DS street passes, I mean. That doesn't sound too promising if we're looking at Fantasy Star Portable in particular, though. Uh-huh. What about you, John? Uh, what were you going to ask me? Have you seen many people using their PSPs around you? No. Not okay. Really. I didn't think so, but I wanted to be sure. All right. Well, so you see, I'm sure Fancy Star Portable made sense, again, as you were saying, for, you know, a place like Japan where people, lots of people had them. But for us, less so. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that there are still PSP games being released in Japan says a lot about that market. So be- The fact that no new PSP games have come out on disc for quite a while in any other territory says a lot about other markets. Okay. So because of this and this is this is something we talked about before on the show. We're going to we're going to we're going to preface, you know, what these two have to say about this game with the following disclaimer so people don't get right up in arms. We talk about these games based on our experiences, not based on experiences in other countries. With you know things you know uh, you know translated differently and voice acted differently whatever no 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 and that includes the fact that here in America when you played this game you were probably playing single player mode unless you happen to have three very very nerdy friends nearby with PSPs who all got in on the 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 elf ear revolution of the you know two thousands yeah you were playing this single player mode so I'm gonna guess that that's how our panelists are gonna talk about this game today but we don't want to receive the rabid letters going oh my god you but you know it's only got you got to play the way you got to talk about the way it was meant to be talked about. You know, and the aliens start busting out of their stomach, okay? so Will, will you hear that, Cassandra, yeah. John? Apparently, in order to talk about this game for real, we need to go to Japan. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah we're not qualified. We're just going to move now, on. Now, I know you've been to Japan, John, but uh, doing it again is not necessarily a quick and easy endeavor, is it? No, not especially. It's mostly because the plane tickets are really expensive. I'd like to go again. Don't get me wrong. So, But I'm not going to... Not gonna take a copy of Fancy Style Portable with what? you. What? Okay, but but fancy. Okay, so let's talk about the single player mode. Then is it not so super and exciting that you want to take it with you so you can play it on the long trip? I do. I admit that I will admit that I do have a copy of Fancy Style Portable, the original on PSP, and no, it did not grab me. Not slightest. Fancy Style Portable is basically based on the gameplay mechanics and the broad story from Fancy Star Universe. So it's kind of a given that I was kind of I was giving it a kind of second chance. I found a cheap copy of it. Basically, though, Fancy Star Universe failed to grab me, and Fancy Star Portable failed to do exactly the same thing. Mm. So really, any discussion that I can actually have on the subject is actually fairly limited. But it's the universe well, can, in the palm I can of your always hand. mention I, I can always mention Adrian's review, which he produced after what he described as an extended grinding session 
where in order to take down the three forms of the final boss, each of which was, well, what a surprise, stronger than the previous and apparently necessitated several hours of grinding, which is probably not that bad considering the source material. <laughs> and he also titled his review in a truly artistic and beautiful play on words, Pooper Scooper Portable. Poopers. Be- oh, dang, man. Mm. Oh, snap. Snap. <laughs> I mean, so the question is, did we actually, did anyone on staff actually review Fancy Star Portable 2? I don't think so. No. I think, because I, I think the experience of Fancy Star Portable, like, scarred everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, because I think Fancy Star Portable 2, of course, just continues the whole universe thing. By this point, I was tired of it. I wasn't going to bother. However, for some reason, Fancy Star 2 Portable was so amazingly popular that it got a Japan-only, like... Re-release, expansion, whatever. Fantasy Star Portable 2, developed by Alpha System. Look, it's no longer Sega Team. Published by Sega. Released in Japan on December 3rd, 2009. North America on September 14th, 2010. For your PlayStation Portable and and the console. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Picky 12. That may, that, I say, <laughs> that may have actually been one of the problems, was that it was not <laughs> developed by Sonic Team. Um, Too late to fix um, that, I'd say. Yeah. Um, and Fancy Star Portable 2, I think... I never played it, but from what I understand, some people did tell me that it fixed issues that were raised during the development of Fancy Star Portable. It it might not have caused quite as much of a headache to our port reviewers as the original did. However, as as mentioned, by this point, you know, I wasn't willing to give the series yet another shot on this one while it was still in the same universe, so I just sort of let it slide by. Well, looking at Game Facts, because as we all know, Game Facts reviews are the best place to go. I see three nines and one eight out of ten. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I know you're you're floored, right? Game Facts reviewers are always the place to go for informed and effective review styles. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Hello. Shoot. I'm sorry. Did did that come across as in any way sarcastic? Because it wasn't in the now, slightest. Now, now let's let's go to a more credible source, GameRankings.com, the cheap man's <laughs> version of Metacritic. So, Fantasy Star Portable got a disappointing 65.38. Translated into RP gamer terms, that's roughly a 1.5 to a 2.0. If Fantasy Star Portable 2 is a much better game, Mister Minky, raking in. A 67.64. A full two points higher. Okay, so it didn't really do much. No, no. Well, wow. I, that that two-something percentage point increase just blows me out of the water. I, well, that I, makes I, all the difference in the world. Again, though, I think that um, because they... they I'm kind of working under the assumption that because the online functions worked a lot better in Japan is one of the reasons behind its success in that market. And that's the reason why we ended up with Fantasy Star Portable 2 Infinity in, uh, I think it was 2010. But it, it kind of comes, and I'll tell you, y- yes and no, and, and I can see big flameworms on the forum starting because of this, but here's something I keep putting out to people. No one, No one buys in on this, but I keep saying it anyways. You know what? A lot of games are a lot more fun when you play multiplayer. Pong was a very 
boring, <laughs> simple concept, but people played it for hours because it was multiplayer. You could take just about any de- you know, any concept whatsoever, even ones that seem like utter simplicity or crap or whatnot, and it works in multiplayer. So I can't tell you how many times I've heard about that, even from crappy games. So my point of view is I keep telling people, just imagine how much more fun, though, it would be if you had a really good game. And you made that multiplayer somehow in a competent way. I mean, you know, wouldn't that be more fun? Like, StarCraft is a really awesome game in and of itself as a single-player experience. So multiplayer, it completely rocks, you know. So, gosh dang. Fantasy Star Portable, the games by themselves, the single-player ones are extremely... At best, they're considered mediocre. And at worst, they just, they're just they just disengaging uh, from, uh, from everything that I've read. And that's why I never picked up. I'm a big PSP fan. But I never picked them up because every re- review I read said the single player experience is piss poor so why am i gonna go and try to find people hunt them down and get a multiplayer experience game you know going on a mediocre game at best when i can go play street fighter which is a really great game you know i i don't know but yes but phil that means you can't say i have psp on psp yeah doesn't that detract just a little bit out of your life essence yeah i mean here's here's a bottom line from uh from uh, from one of our from one of the websites to just grab it it says fantasy star portable 2 is a bare bones dungeon crawler with little appeal beyond uh fantasy star fandom so all of you fan fantasy star fanboys who are upset with what we're saying here let me give you the address to write to it's mike meeky at game uh rpgamer.com got it okay <laughs> Yes, please, please write to that address. Yes, write to that address. Absolutely, <laughs> somebody will get right back with you. Absolutely. Uh, poo. All right, so we're gonna, we're gonna move on. Let's just let's just keep on cruising here. Let's 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 uh, let's go to the last game I have here on the list. Maybe, maybe it's better. It's also portable, and I'm looking really carefully. Oh my! Oh, this is gonna be a crappy game. None of the girls have sharp. Oh wait, I finally found some sharp ears. Okay, I was getting a little worried there, but they're kind of small. Game has humans too. What's that? I said, this game had Newman's too, don't worry. I mean, I'm having to squint my eyes on the cover art to see somebody with long ears. I'm not sure they're really long or just oh. a little jagged. They're pointy. They're not really long. Yeah, I guess so. So I, I don't have a lot of hope for this game, but we'll see what you guys have to say. <laughs> this is Fantasy Star Zero. Uh, this was uh, developed by here Sonic Team again. Oh my gosh. They're back. Uh, Sonic Team, published by Sega. This was uh, released on the Nintendo DS in North America on November the 10th, 2009. Uh, this is a hack and slash RPG experience with a single and multiplayer mode coming to you on a cartridge. What little teeny tiny DS car? I love DS cartridges. They're so cute. They're, to me, DS cartridges are like the perfect size. Those little tiny Vita deals, they're too, they're begging to get lost. But uh, yeah, I love my DS games. Anyways, Fancy Star Zero. Is it is it good? Does it does it does it work? Does it does it get any better here? What about the offline mode? Let's talk about that because we're not going to be able to find anybody to play this online with these days. Okay, offline mode. Well, this one, like Universe, it has more of a uh, sort of in-your-face, straightforward story instead of this sort of indirect look it up. You know, you have to kind of check out side quests and such of the original Fantasy Star Online. And in fact, this game plays a lot like Fantasy Star Online um, if you would were to put it on the actual, you know, on a DS, on a handheld. But I'm kind of getting my head of myself there. Uh, how should I start? The story? The Oh, okay. Start with the story. Okay, so the single player mode. You can there basically the story is told slightly differently depending on the race of your character. Just like it like in the previous games, although I think Universe had one or two other races, I'm not really sure. Um it had you have the Newmans, the uh, androids, what they call casts, and the humans. 
And depending on, if, if I remember correctly, uh, if you started as a human, you were the you were a rookie hunter, uh, work like who was fighting alongside your friend Kai. He's a also a, a human hunter, a humar as they call it. In this game, they introduced uh, a few more a few new classes from the from like PSO that are only seen here. And if you're yeah, you start with him, and then you meet this Newman girl named uh, Sarissa, and you find. And you try to help her out because she's being chased by a dragon boss that's in that area. And then you try to help her to just sort of... I'm actually not entirely sure what happens in the human campaign. I started with the new one, one never did the human one much. The human campaign, like Newman campaign, I should say, starts with you, your Newman character. You crash land on the surface of the planet. And unfortunately, you developed amnesia, of course. And while you're there, you're just wandering around and you run into Kai, the human hunter and he helps you out to try to find out who you are and help out in a local area you also meet up with sarissa who recognizes you but she, there's something being secret about it and she can't tell you what's going on so anyway as you progress through you find out that uh 200 years before the present some cataclysmic event occurred most of the population was wiped out the newman race had become extinct which is kind of funny explaining why you're a newman character and why sarissa are still around and the androids, most of them have been destroyed or put into a sort of sleep mode. Humanity has started slowly recovering with the help of like lost technology from back then. But someone or something is starting to destroy these ruins that has this technology. And so your hunter team is sent out to try to stop them. Eventually you find out that it's the long lost Newmans who come from the moon. Somehow you don't explain, to, you don't find out till later why they're on the moon, but they're on the moon and they're angry at humanity for supposedly causing their extinction. That's kind of cleared up a little later. Eventually, you travel to the moon and you find out what exactly has been going on. On there is a um, a great AI computer called Mother Trinity that was years, like over 200 years ago, was built in order to try to solve the planet's problems with pollution and war and overpopulation and that sort of fun stuff. She got frustrated with humanity and eventually rebelled against them and and started to and tried to war against them. Eventually, she let it this all-out assault, a virus that pretty much wiped out the, the Newman race and all sorts of other, I don't remember, all sorts of other fun stuff that led to the cataclysm 200 years ago. And now that she sees that humanity starting to rebuild itself, she re recreated the Newmans, because just like in the previous game, the Newmans were genetically engineered humans, and sort of told them that it was huma humanity's fault they were wiped out in the first place, and sort of told them, now go down there and stop them from stop their technology and she figured okay this is things are trying to go to hand i'm just going to wipe you all out yet again you take down mother trinity and you find out that she's being possessed by dark falls where did he come from i don't know but he oh, comes so it's out. dark falls again and not it's dark, dark falls force again. it's dark falls again yes he comes out going i am despair he talks in this one apparently and or something like that you defeat him and uh -oh. you know you defeat him again goodbye dark falls at least for the time being because there's a side quest where you can fight him again it's just like where'd he come from i don't know and oh, here's a sort of an interesting kicker and during one of the side quests you find out that the planet's name is coral the same planet that pot uh, from episodes from fantasy star online uh, episodes one through four essentially that that was the original planet of the pioneer people so it's actually a very neat, it's very interesting twist. Like this is what happened to that world after Pioneers 1 and 2 left. And I guess presumably that war that was ravaging their planet finally stopped. Although I have no idea since Dark Falls was supposedly defeated in episode three, well, I don't know why he decided to pop up halfway across the galaxy in Coral. Because he can. Well, he's a dark yeah, god, I, was, I guess. I was going to say, yeah, it's kind of his thing. Oh, that's true. That's true. Like, like you think you finally gone? Nope, he's back. 
He finally yeah, deployed. It, it doesn't, uh, does it honestly make less sense than him just being in a treasure box in Fantasy Star 3? <laughs> yeah, I mean, much. I mean, because I, I, I can't remember which Fantasy Star, was it 3 or 4 that, in, that introduced the concept of the profound darkness? The kind of it, was, thing... it was Fantasy Star 4 that supposed, like, the Dark Falls was like the incarnation of the profound darkness. And you yeah. thought you defeated Dark Falls by defeating the profound darkness, but no. Of course. Yeah. Unless... Now the, the 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 thing is is um the thing about trying to defeat concepts is they have a hard time going away. That's true. And yeah, also we, the we other, could. I mean, we... the other thing I noticed about the concept, the, the like the fundamental concept thing in Fantasy Star Four is um like the unending light, the 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 counterpart to the the great the, light. Yeah. Which is which is briefly mentioned in Fantasy Star Online. Yeah. I was just say the great light's a dick. <laughs> <laughs> like. Okay, sure. You lock away this like profound incarnation of darkness, but you know you incorporate sentient creatures into the lock. I mean, that's kind of evil. <laughs> Particularly when the people who are a part of the lock have to do something about the thing when it gets out, which is kind of basically what the plot of Fantasy Star One through Four is. Essentially, I think. Well, the planets were the lock, but the the beings were put on there just in case the lock got unlocked. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, yes. Now that now we've established that Dark Force or Falls, whichever he's being called, I prefer Falls. Just pops up whenever, whenever yeah. darkness is around. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. But yeah, this story is actually again because it's more straightforward. It's a bit interesting. The sci-fi elements are there. Plus, the characters have more in the way of a personality. Kai is sort of this laid-back guy, but he's got a bit of a, a dark past. Sarissa is sort of cheery, but she's kind of upset at the fact that her mission could potentially involve hurting people she's come to like. And there's some other, like this Newman guy named Reeve who's questioning his loyalty to Mother Trinity. And it's again, it's it's more so than the past PS, the past Fantasy Star Online. So it's just again, it's not it's not you know it's not groundbreaking, but it's interesting. And again, the fact that you get three different store slightly different variations on the story depending on your race is rather interesting. Also, when you're an android, you've just woken up, so you've got no memories because your hard drive was wiped out in the Gary Cataclysm, and you wander about and do stuff. That eventually gets you locked into the story. There's also voice acting, but it's so darn brief, I couldn't tell you if it was good or bad. It was just serviceable. That's well, not good. And a few animated did, you play it, did you play it with headphones, or were you stuck in public places where you couldn't really judge? Oh, I used headphones, but they were, like, okay. literally, each cutscene was less than a minute long. So, like, they, they had, a, like, a few scattered animated cutscenes, which were neat, but they were so short, it was just like, okay, there's voice yeah. acting. That's about it. Yeah. Here, we're, we're showing that, yes, we crammed all of this into the DS cart, and we didn't care to spend enough to put a more substantial quantity of it in there. Yeah, pretty much. Hmm. Maybe being so small wasn't a good thing. Maybe it needed that extra little side angle that the 3DS <laughs> carts have. Crabs. Crabs. Yeah, the uh, battle system was pretty much the pretty much identical to the all other Fantasy Star Online-ish incarnations. One, two, three, hit combo. Uh, you could use techniques. The, the magic, the, the variety of weapons. Although they had some slightly different ones, they introduced spheres, but they no longer had the uh, partisans. Or they had these, these. well, they had gun gun blades, believe it or not, although they were massive things. I've never quite liked them. Oh, the the gun slashes were first introduced in Fantasy Star Universe. They were, okay, um, so they, made, they made a hell of a lot more sense than, say, the gun blades in Final Fantasy VIII, if only by the virtue that they were literally just, like, um, long barrel um, revolvers with blades attached to them. Ah, uh, okay, so it's not new, it's just new to me. Yeah. 
I was I was going to discuss them very briefly uh, for the next game because there was one I was going to crowbar into the list. Ah, and uh, oh yeah, so there's they did introduce one little function. If you press the R the bar button, you could do roll dodge a dodge do a dodge roll, which can help out with enemies and makes you kind of wonder was that introduced in the, like in the universe games or is that? I just... think one of the portable games introduced that, but I don't know which one. Okay then. So it's not entirely new, but again, as somebody who just went from PS, you know, Fantasy Star Online episodes one, two, and three to this game, it felt new. Also, despite it being the DS, the Wi-Fi actually works fairly well. Not as much lag as you might expect. Despite, although I played with two other people, I never did play with a full party of four. And though there's no chat, despite the DS having a microphone, you use you, you sort of there's like the the bottom screen you could draw on it, so you could like write a quick message or something, which was pretty much the only way to communicate to the other person. You'd think being able to use the microphone so you could say, hey, could you please revive me? I'm dead would be useful, but no. Well, did you find anybody who else who was playing it when you had the online on? Uh, this was a couple of years ago, so yes, I actually did. Well, a randomly plus an actual friend of mine who, like, well, he lived in, uh, some, I think he lived in Belgium? Somewhere, some other country, and I played with him a bit, plus some other someone else that he knew. But yeah, I did some Wi-Fi stuff, usually just one or two other people. Did you arrange it, or it sounds like you just arranged things with them instead of spontaneously finding people who were also playing it on the street? I uh, not on the street, no. Wi-Fi basically has like a random search function, and yeah, those other that person I was talking about, I did actually arrange something with him. The other is just like you know, you click on and say you know, uh, basically find whoever else is currently online and you know go play through play through through a level with them. Yeah. Still, at least you were able to do that. I'm sure it positively influenced your stance on the game. Yeah, pretty much. Because it's, you know, it's got a decently fun single player, and the multiplayer, it's fun and it works. That's pretty much all you can ask for. Pretty much. Who could ask for anything more? <laughs> Fantasy Star. Alright. So go out and get your copy, right? Uh, just a minor note about the music. Despite it having two of the composers of episode, like the original Fantasy Star online games, uh, for some reason this one just didn't leave as much of an impression on me. Except for maybe like the final dungeons music where you could find Mother Trinity and Dark Falls, but otherwise, for, I don't know. It's just like it sounded Fantasy Star Online. It had that sort of sort of sci-fi-ish sound to it, but for some reason, it just didn't have that same I don't know spark. Hmm. They can't all be winners. True. They can't all it, be. It winners. had it had music. The music was not terrible enough to lodge itself in your brain and prevent positive thoughts from emerging nor was it good enough that you're still humming it to this day it's just in that unfortunate region in the middle it's a lot like how much voice acting there is in the game <laughs> it's there but not very memorable enough to say Dude. is it good is it bad it, it's gotta be I didn't even recognize is it, it. worth I even recognize is it worth 80 bucks no oh was someone was selling a copy for 80 bucks is it, it brand new? Well, it comes with a strategy guide, which apparently is, you know, an uncirculated print. I don't know why. It's only like eight years uh, old. Ah, so the strategy guide is clearly superior to just looking on GameFAQs whenever you need it. Yeah, some help. you're right. Because it has pictures. Um, a brand new... Oh, hell, someone's selling the Rune Factory Trilogy for 100 bucks. I wonder if I got all three. I bet you I do. Anyways, uh, someone's selling Fancy so, Star Zero, brand new, for forty nine ninety nine. But I do see someone here just selling the cartridge only for 15 bucks. That sounds about right. I got this new at uh, either 35 or 40 I can't quite remember. So... Um, 
the question is here is do mm -hmm. we go um in order to use a very um nerdy fantasy star online original reference do we now go towards the future will our oh. ship across the sea Actually, I did, in the original Fantasy Star Online, there was a boss rush quest on the online mode called Towards the Future. It was it was very fun. I used to play that quest all the damn time because it gave good drops. But I was because, uh, well, there is one last one we could talk about, uh, or I could talk about because I'm, I think, the only one who's played it. Do it, man. Off. Just do it. Just dive into it. Okay, so, um, again, Japan only, because, you know, uh, we're, we're still recovering from the horror that was Fancy Star Portable. Um, J <laughs> uh, Japan is, is reveling, even, in Fancy Star Online 2. You know, actual, honest-to-God Fancy Star Online 2. Not Episode 2, not Version 2, but just Fancy Star Online 2. Should I read out the wiki page, or do you want to do it? Sounds like you should do it, because Phil doesn't seem ready. Alright, yes, Fancy Star Online 2, developed by Sonic Team, published by Sega, uh, released in Japan, the full release in Japan was July 4th, 2012. Currently scheduled, or apparently still, still scheduled for a 2013 release in both North America and Europe. It ha is, however, being delayed. It was originally in intended, it, yeah, it was originally intended for an early 2013 launch, um, but that, that has fallen through. And it is both, for both PC and Vita, Interestingly, and the Vita is going to come across the ocean. Even more interesting. Quite. So right, Fancy Star Online Two is um, different to the other ones in that it is built from the ground up to be a free-to-play game. You know, it's jumping on that free-to-play bandwagon like it's going out of style, which is funny because technically, kind of free-to-plays are becoming quite sort of ubiquitous at this point. Uh, Fancy Star Online Two, you, I have spent no money on so far. And that's since it was in open beta sort of June last year. So I have been playing the game on and off since June last year, and I haven't spent a penny. Now, for me, I think that's good. Right. If if you allowed yourself to indulge in the game, how much could you theoretically have shelled out by now? Uh, I could... Well, if, um, if it came out in Europe sooner, I could certainly see myself paying for a monthly subscription to this one. Or in the very least, buying enough in-game currency to collect a, um, the the premium pack, which basically functions as a sort of subscription function, um, which I think is... Oh, God. I'm trying to remember my conversion rates here. I think it would be less than £10 a month. But... That doesn't sound terrible, unless you're going to be on it for a couple of years. That's a sizable Yeah, it, it, will, it will start to add up after a while. And it has all the usual trappings of a free-to-play game, which includes the... Uh, 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 lovable extra equipment that you must buy using real money, right? Well, I don't think any of the game's loot is actually specifically locked behind uh, the paywall. Um, the stuff that's locked behind the paywall seemingly, based on my limited uh, Japanese ability plus a couple of English translation patches, most mm. of the stuff available for premium users is um, easier access to EXP boosters, the ability to trade items, the ability to sell items in your own personal shop, and also have your own apartment, which you can customize and put furniture into your heart's content. Um, but there's also things like requiring... I think premium users have no restriction on the number of characters they can create. Um, if you're a free-to-play user, then you can only create one, although I think that was recently upgraded too. Are there Natural. are there areas of the game or quests that are inaccessible unless you shell out some money? I haven't seen any of that so far. Okay. Um, all, areas of, all areas of the game that um, I've gotten to have not required anything like that. 
Um, I know the game has been mechanic mechanics wise, the game has been like balanced and readjusted so that it doesn't take quite so much EXP or quite so many items to clear certain quests. But there's still an element of grind to it. Um, well, that's kind of inevitable with this type of yeah, game. Yeah, free to play with the word Fancy Star Online in the title. It was going <laughs> to happen. Um, but basically, Fancy Star Online plot-wise, Fancy Star, sorry, Fancy Star Online 2 plot-wise is basically nothing like Fancy Star Online. Or there are some similarities, but it's all contained in kind of like references and so on and so forth. Fancy Star Online 2 does appear to just out and out take place in just a different continuity. Um, Does that mean that you're going to find Dark Force again? Or no, the usual, the, yeah, the usual, <laughs> the usual uh, translation for it in this instance is Dark Fowls. Um, okay. But basically, Dark uh, Fancy Star Online Two, rather than take place on a um, colony ship heading to a single planet, um, Fancy Star Online Two basically puts you in um, a fleet called Oracle, which is a huge 500 kilometer wide spacecraft that travels the galaxy looking for planets to explore and and so on and so forth and settle. It's no moon. It's a space station. Um, there are numerous smaller ships surrounding uh, the main ship, which is just called Mothership. We sh- these are called Ark's ship. The, um, similar to how the Hunter's Guild was in Fancy Star Online and um, the Guardians were in Fancy Star Universe, the, the organization that the player characters belong to is, is called Ark's, which is actually an acronym, and I will look it up, and it is quite funny. Um, well, sort yeah, of in a I'm, kind of... I'm sensing some serious English here. Yeah, in um, the, the, the various Ark ships in a meta sense are also the servers that you log into. Like each each arc ship is a server. Which is actually fairly similar to I think how I Fancy Star Online did it. Um and basically the areas that you explore, you are um, a member of this ARCS organization and you are sent out to explore um the various these various planets. Now these planets do kind of take inspiration from other planets that have been seen in the Fancy Star series. Um they you visit more areas on them to provide some variation. But for example, the first planet that you visit and the first area you visit on the first planet, the first planet is called Nibir- Nibirius, and the first area that you visit on this planet is a forest. You know, it's a forested area, and it looks basically like the first area from the first game. Hmm. Uh, the Fitting. second planet and the second planet that you visit is volcanically active, and you visit a series of volcanic caves. You see where I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah. And then the third and is, the third planet, mo- the-, the mine area. Yeah, and the third planet is... Well, the third planet is more of a kind of, like, dusty desert-like planet, um, but it has kind of, like, these advanced um, ruins of structures on that look like they were used for some sort of mining operation or something Uh like that. Um, And then, basically, all three of these planets then have additional areas. Like, um, once you get to a higher level, you explore Nibiris' frozen north area, so it's a bit like forest, but it's covered in snow. Um, The volcanic planet, which is called Amduskia, I think. Um, Above these, like, open volcanic caves, there's this, like, series of floating islands that sort of sit on these volcanic updraft currents. And you go and explore those floating islands, that's kind of fun. And you also explore the, um, the tunnels underneath the desert, these, like, long disused mining tunnels and stuff. Um... 
and the, there are like um you know the, there are quests and so on that take place am- amongst these areas um the actual like mechanics and stuff are kind of brought in from fancy star online fancy star universe fancy star portable there may be a little bit of zero in there i'm not sure mm. um and it it kind of just kind of rolls it all together into this kind of nice little package that kind of functions as a kind of nice reference to the older fancy star online games yeah, up to and including using several it reuses several sound effects just out and out like the, the the beam saber sound and so on is reused directly from Fantasy Star Online. It's the same oh. noise, um, and the the kind of the way they've done this the three stage attack system that Fantasy Star Online has is when you press the attack button, a little circle appears around your character that kind of rapidly contracts towards you in a in a blue color. When it hits a certain radius around your character, it turns red. If you hit the attack button when it turns red, um, you do. You basically continue your attack combo, but you also get a um, like a damage bonus to it. They call them uh, just attacks, I think. You know, for, for getting the correct inputs. And basically, they've now what they've now done is they've opened out character creation. You can be any race, and any of the races can be any class. Which means that yes, you can be a robot, and yes, you can use magic in this one. Oh, that's different. I, as far as I know, the different character races do still have different stat growths, but they've removed this restriction off casts that prevents them from casting techniques. So you so can also can... get the Newman Rangers, because for some reason there just weren't any, even in Fantasy Star Zero. Yep, yep, Newman. you can be a Newman you can be a Newman Ranger and you can be a human whatever. Well you humans could a... always be everything. <laughs> yeah, humans could always be everything. Um and basically, um what uh, the way they've now diversified the characters, they've brought the mags back and they work in pretty much exactly the same way as they did in Fantasy Star Online. Although, uh, my confusion earlier was, in Fantasy Star Online 2, your mags will eat literally anything. You can feed them weapons, you can feed them furniture, you can feed them medicine, you can feed them armor, everything. And every, every item will add to their stats in some way. I think the rarer the item, the, 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 like, the bigger the stat boost, but obviously if it's a rare item, you probably want to hold on to it, kind of thing. Um, but the way they've um, kind of increased the number of options available to characters compared to Fantasy Star Online's fairly like sort of basic just plod 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 attack, particularly for the melee and the ranged class, was each weapon each class can equip a set of weapons. Each weapon has a, an array of associated things called photon arts, which are kind of like little combo attacks and stuff like that. They all, they're all named, and they all do different things. Um, in the case of um, ra- uh, sorry, in the case of hunters, you equip three of them, and then basically these can then be used during your normal melee attack chain. Um, for rangers, um, they're like special shots. For example, my my ranger character, I started as a ranger. Um, for the longest time, my favorite one was one that basically converts your next shot into a massive shotgun blast that was highly effective at close range. As I would expect um, a shotgun to be. As you would expect it to be. Um, the, and the Force class basically just get their array, the same array of um, techniques. What changes uh, for them is they can just use the techniques just outright, just sort of cast them from their hands and stuff. Um, but if they use a weapon, it kind of, like, one of their weapons kind of is like a kind of, like, kind of allows them to blast the spells forward, gives them a kind of, like, attack bonus to it. There's also a type of weapon called a talisman, which allows forces to deploy, like, these little hovering plates and then cast spells from those plates rather than from themselves. Kind of neat, particularly for, like, area of effect spells and stuff. Um... And then, because Fancy Star Online only had three classes, they went then went and say, "Hey, let's put some like advanced classes in, you know? Let's let's, let's spice things up a little." 
Um, so not only can you play any class on your on your created character, you just go to a, one of the counters on board your arc ship and say, hey, I want to be a, this class. And it works a little bit like Final Fantasy XI in that you can level them all separately. So I, on my character at the moment, um, I am like a level, level 30 ranger, a level 30 hunter, and then going into the advanced classes, I have the gunner, which is a more advanced ranger class, which, in, which trades in using stuff like rifles and rocket launchers for a pair of twin machine guns, which is kind of awesome. Most of the photon arts on the gunner class are matrix or equilibrium references. It's kind of cool. Um, there's also the fighter, which is the upgraded hunter class. They trade in their single blade weapons for things like pairs of, um, like dual swords, double sabers, that kind of thing. They they mostly focus on stabbing things a lot. Um, and I have, I think I have gunner and um, I have gunner and hunter. Uh, sorry, fighter to like level 19 or so. Uh, I haven't leveled the forces that much, and the force have an advanced class called Tekka, which allows them to use like even more powerful versions of their magic spells, like even bigger boons and stuff. And then, in order to com- complicate things further, they've re- very recently released, fan- released Fancy Star Online 2 Episode 2, <laughs> which which has uh... added another added another explorable planet, which is actually fairly similar to the island locale from the original episode two. It's it's like a, the first area is kind of like a beach area, uh, and a lot of the um, oh, enemies like... have a very yeah, it's very aquatic. Very much like episode two because yeah, it's got, a, it's got a very aquatic theme to it. This also added a new character race called Dumans. Now Dumans were in uh, that is D U M A N S. Dumans are were um, infected humans from one of the storylines in I think it was Fancy Star Portable Two Infinity. Uh, they're basically they're very they're very similar to humans, but they have um, all of them have heterochromia and horns growing out of their heads. Um, the this also okay, introduced... I, see, I see where the D came from. <laughs> yeah, this also re- they also released a new uh, character class called um, Braver. Um, now I haven't actually figured out yeah, kind of generally. Yeah, braver. Now, generally, I haven't kind of... Go on. No, that that just doesn't sound like a noun to me. That sounds like an adjective. Or, no, an adjective. I know. (laughs) Um, And so, bravers, they get access to two weapons. Um, Something called the bullet bow, which is basically just a bow and arrow. Except it's sci-fi. It's got, like, Tron lines on it or something. Um, And they also use... So it's like uh, the Star Wars version of it. Yeah, it's not like like out and out laser bows because you are still firing like you can still see like solid arrows. You know, like after about ten seconds of combat with an a- enemy and you're using one of these, they've got yeah. like you know arrows stick actual arrows sticking out of them. Um, and they also use katanas, which is of course done in the usual flashy Japanese fashion of only drawing to slash them and putting it back in the holster. Well, yeah, if you keep the thing out, then it loses it its effectiveness. Dirty. Yeah. <laughs> And so these are kind of very kind of like flashy attack characters. Um, I, I'm kind of not quite sure what their niche is meant to be, but they've got a good balance between sort of ranged and melee ability because of the two weapons that they primarily use. And then the the the, the one weapon that every class can use is something called the gun slash, is what I mentioned earlier, which is just a sort of combination uh, rifle and blade. Mm-hmm. Um, each each of the character class kind of has like a sort of special ability, which um, Alexandra mentioned the dodge roll um, in. In Fancy Star Online 2, the hunters and the uh, fighters get like a kind of slide rather than a dodge roll, so they can kind of like dodge quickly sideways in order to avoid attacks. Um, there is a, obviously this whole action RPG thing has been taken up quite a lot, so you do you will actually have to use this ability. Um, r- rangers get the ability to dodge roll naturally, 
and um thingy uh, uh the force ones actually kind of like force slide they sort of phase out and then phase back into the side they sort of do this kind of dodge teleport thing it's kind of cool looking and the thing about Fancy Star Online 2's combat and stuff, and the reason why I mention this, is you, you kind of do have to use this, like these abilities. Uh, combat's a lot more active. There's none of this. Um, Fancy Star Online was kind of like, when you uh, looked at an enemy, a little targeting reticule would appear about it, and if you pressed one of the buttons on your controller, you'd attack that enemy, right? In on, in Online 2, you it, it again, it's just a lot more kind of action-based kind of thing. See where I'm going with this? Yes. Hmm. Um, I mean, to the extent where range, this is especially useful for rangers. If you press, I think the default button command is Z, you actually go into a, um, a third person over the shoulder camera view. Um, and you can basically, you basically then have a uh, mouse aim for your ranged weapon. Um, the larger enemies in the game, even some of the smaller enemies in the game now actually have, um, location specific weak, weak spots for you to target and take out deal substantially more damage when you attack them, like automatic critical hits and stuff. Um, this is especially useful for bosses, which have um, some of them have got like fairly obvious looking weak spots. Um, some of them are a little bit less obvious. For example, the second boss that you fight in the caves is Voldragon, which is basically a remix of the original Dragon Boss from the from the first Fancy Star Online, the first the one boss. That didn't have a name. <laughs> yeah, just it was just, just called Dragon. Dragon or yeah, just Dragon. Yeah, Voldragon is interesting is because um, periodically during the fight it'll gain like this kind of like lava armor. And what you can do is if you target and blow the crystal on its tail off, it dispels this armor protection. Um, and then it also renders it, um, it stuns it to make its primary weak spot, which is the huge horn on its head, a lot more easy, a lot easier to hit for melee characters. How long does the stun last? Five seconds? Uh, a little, yeah, a little while, because what happens after the stun wears off is um, the dragon um, drops his tail into the, the ground to reform the crystal, so you get a few more seconds of time. Gotcha. Um, uh, the only the thing that makes it difficult is that the tail crystal gets more health each time it's destroyed. If you let the vo if you let Voldragon increase its armor its lava armor level too high, it uses this extremely powerful flame breath move that's very difficult to avoid unless you're standing right underneath it when it does it, which and will kill, kill lower level you, yeah. and will kill lower level characters. Yeah. Yes. So there is there is a lot more. You have to be a lot more spatially aware, kind of thing. But that said, the boss fights are incredibly fun. Like some, a couple of the later boss fights are really enjoyable. Um, particularly, uh, there's one later for one of them called Quartz Dragon, which is semi-similar to the Voldragon fight, but involves a lot more moving around, but is a lot of fun. Sort of like the Gold um, Dragon from Episode 2. Yeah. Um, and there are two other things that I... I, I well, it, it's kind of one thing, but it kind of stretches into two slightly different things. Um, the party size is still four. Some quests will take you into an area where you will have up to 12 people in an area. What happens when you're transver traversing some of these areas? Now, the areas in Fancy Star Online 2 are now like properly randomly generated. Like it, it, it takes various bits and fits them together in different ways in order to create new levels for you, for, you know, new places to explore. You, you'll recognize the bits that it, the puzzle pieces that it uses to create levels fairly quickly, but it kind of arranges them in different ways to in order to make the play experience different. 
when you're in these areas, and this is regardless if you're in a four-person party or you're, you're in a larger group, you get these things called emergency trials, which are kind of random events that just crop up while you're fighting certain things, and they'll require you to do certain objectives. For example, uh, in some levels... Um, a barrier will suddenly spring up in front of you and you will either need to defeat a number of enemies to get through it or you'll need to go around and collect some keys. There's things like rescuing NPCs. One of the ones on the desert planet is you meet this, you meet these little um, like Ewok-like things and you have to pass on messages using the game's emote system. Um, and basically what it does is if you pass these trials that the game gives you, um, you get, like, bonus EXP money and occasionally some rare items and stuff. It just... It, it kind of seems a little, um... Uh, what's the word here? You can, you might feel like it feels a little superfluous, but it, the EXP rewards from these things do add up quite a lot. Um, and they are... They're generally just, I don't know, enjoyable. It gives you a bit of a surprise. I mean, it's it's actually perfectly possible for you to be... For you, on, on your way to a boss fight, to be attacked by the boss by a different creature which is still a boss creature while going through the level but you'll mm. get like boss you'll get it you know boss rewards for killing it and then you go and fight the actual boss of the level and you get even more rewards so it kind of works out nice and then tying into this occasionally they have these um ship-wide events which are announced um if you basically the arc ship is a bit like the um pioneer 2 area in fancy star online and occasionally there will be like these big announcements all of the warning the all of these like warning alarms go off and all of the screens which normally just show trailers for fancy star online 2 on repeat um get replaced with like information screens and stuff like that and these things usually cover like they what they call emergency situations now a number of these in the like when the game was first released usually just um were things like um uh, like aggressive nature build-ups like you'd go down and there, there would be emergency there are these then these emergency quests where you could go and basically just go and kill some wildlife um but you'd also <clears throat> there would also be an event where another ship would be attacked another ship in the fleet would be attacked by these creatures called darkers now darkers are kind of like um they're based off the seed creatures from fantasy star universe um and there, there is a pretty obvious link to dark fowls here and they, they they are capable of infecting other creatures. And if the two, if oh, like native, if native creatures and darkers appear in the same area, they will fight each other. You know, they will they will just if you're not if you're if you're standing away from them, they will they'll just beat each other up for a while. I was about to say um, they kind of sound like the sorry the uh, the dark like the dark type because there were like four main attributes in the PSO and and uh, Star Zero native altered which was basically mutated animals machines and dark which were basically dark falls as minions that were yeah. like dark dark is yeah dark is basically they 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 encompass their own creature type no like they're, they're their own um things outside of the various natives of the other planets um but they also it's very it's possible to see on other creatures for example these they're these little um almost like kind of like infection seeds have a random chance of appearing on native wildlife mm. and this gives them increased stats it makes them more dangerous and their names are marked in red on your status indicator to to show them but if you if you target the infection points like the little seed growing on them you deal like uh, quite a lot of additional damage to them so that they're basically they're more powerful but they're more fragile and then uh, one of these one of these big server events that they patched in later was the fleet is then attacked by dark fowls himself he, and he comes in this kind of like huge 
armed form that you um the the the, the quest to defeat him comes in uh two phases um one where you basically he sends out these hands which also act as creatures in their own right um and after the ship the entire server has defeated enough of them then you get a shot one shot at um fighting dark fowls himself and this is always that's always a 12 person party but that it's kind of it's not like it's kind of match made like you just basically just create a solo party for the quest and you'll be placed with a group of other people you don't need to form the party yourself you'll you'll be placed with enough people to do the quest hmm. kind of cool yeah that's Helpful. Basically, how me I, I I I had two of my friends join me, and before they were um, I think level three, they they'd killed Dark Fowls. <laughs> so yeah, I think that about covers everything. I mean, there, there is a plot. Um, the thing about the plot is it's delivered in a slightly unusual fashion. Like the message pods are still there, but they're not left by Red Ring Rico. Obviously, they're left <laughs> she, by other and... somebody else. Um, but the way the plot is presented in this one is um, there's these there's a series of things called matter boards, and basically what you have to do on a matter board is it's um, you have to fill out these nodes, and you can only fill out a node if it's connected to a node that's already been activated. And basically, these nodes include things like seek out certain cutscenes. Um, find uh, find a certain enemy and kill it. Like, basically, when you get to that node on a matter board, it'll tell you to go and defeat level 5-plus of a certain creature, and it will drop a very useful, like, weapon for your character, assigned character class at the time. Um, and then that'll advance the nodes. Basically, when you then fill out enough of these nodes on a board, you get given another one, and it unlocks another mission that you can do in the game's storyline. And I believe the game's storyline does include a fight against a more humanoid size Dark Fowls as it possesses yet another target. However, I haven't gotten very far in that, so you know, I'm sort of a little blind on that one. So yeah, that, that I think that about covers it, really. There's a lot of information in there, and I tend to ramble a lot, but um, yeah, I think it... Well, I'm, I don't I'm... think we're ever going to have another excuse to talk about this, so it's good that you got that you filled everyone in pretty thoroughly, I'd say. Yeah, um, I play on I play Ship 1 on the Japanese version. I think there is um, an English community on Ship 2, and I think a, another splinter on Ship 10. Problem is, is server transfers cost money, and I don't really want to pay. Can't really blame you. Yeah, because getting, getting money for the Japanese version, getting money onto an account, is a real pain in the ass because of foreign credit card blocks and the like. So, yeah... I can imagine, yes. But I will, you know, the second Sega announces a European release, I'll be in the open beta and moving on to, to that. This being Sega, you will probably hear about it less than a week before it happens. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the more people that the more people that I get to play with, the better, because it does let you take advantage of a very co cool thing with the game's friendless system, which is when you make friends with someone, it um, they can basically register a copy of their character at a terminal in-game. And then what you can do is, if you start a quest, you can go over to a terminal, you can summon a number of, like, existing NPCs who give you quests to help you along. However, if you've made friends on your friend list, you can summon the copy of their character to help you with quests, which is kind of cool. Hmm. Well, when, when and possibly if at this point this game gets released in North America, I'll have to give it a try, which is pretty odd since I'm not usually interested in MMO-type things. Sure. And I think it will remain it sounds free like to fun. play. It'll remain free to play, I think. Um, I just think, based on what I've played so far, I think if it came out over here, I would be very much interested in, in paying for a subscription to it. I think it kind of also depends on how well Final Fantasy fourteen version 2 turns out. Mm -hmm. Those were free uh, seagull effects thrown in. 
They have the nothing to do with Fantasy Star because uh, no, it's a yes they do and we're going to hear exactly how they do yeah that would be because, that would be because it's uh, quarter past five in the morning and my window's open nah but you know if it's an RPG for a thing though we're used to seeing seagulls like the beginning you know Chrono Trigger I remember hearing those seagulls I, hey I did mention a beach area for Fantasy Star Online 2 so there you go and there episode you go. 2 episode 2 has a beach which has seagulls Ah. <laughs> uh. But real seagulls are so much more interesting because they will poop on you. Okay, <laughs> poop. Uh, <laughs> oh, on a random yes. note in universe, no, no, that actually the, is dark. That links with Adrian's review title for Fantasy Star Portable. Was it full of poop? He said pooper scooper portable. Pooper scooper portable. Oh yay! Now, okay, now that now that we have. Uh, driven away everyone with our with our amazing maturity yeah and with our toilet humor <laughs> all right well we're going to take a break listen to another really great fantasy star musical selection and then we'll wrap up this massive show with the final laugh
We have made it back. So uh, this is the uh, this is the final lap. This is where we do all of our kitchen sink stuff. We read your comments. We talk about what we're playing. We talk about our plans for World Conquest and a whole bunch more. Um, I will start off this little segment by saying um, I I apologize in advance if you're listening to this and you're picking up on some audio inconsistencies. We spent uh, 30 minutes trying to figure out um, some of our recording problems early on. I detected some issues, and uh, throughout the recording, I've been trying to tweak things, so there is probably going to be some um, some times where we sound a little quiet or a little loud, and I'll, and I'll in post editing, I can even out a little bit, but I apologize in advance. For some reason, the recorder is showing that the right speaker part of this recording is louder than the left speaker. I might just save this as monotone. That, that's just weird. It should just be a monotone. It's one microphone, but uh, this thing's driving me crazy. Crazy! <sighs> but what isn't driving me crazy, what makes me very happy, is I got an email comment and an audio recording from, um, from Tiggs uh, in England. So I actually I actually should forward this to Jonathan to read because I'd be terrible trying to fake an English accent. Uh, but what he's done is he's actually has a lot of I hope y'all are sitting down for this Artanelico comments. Uh-oh. Yep, 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 yep. The Artanelico uh, conversation continues strong uh, well after a month after we spoke about it last. Um, he's got like a 10-minute... Uh, thing that I'm going to see if I can't add to the end of the show, but just in case it's too long to fit onto the show, or some of you, you know, stop listening after the uh, rolling credits, uh, he did want me to read some of the some of his bullet points on the air, and I'm always happy to read your comments online. You can send your comments to me, jcservant at cyberlightcomics.com, or you can tweet me, you can uh, tweeter, twitter me, whatever. It's uh, jcservant on Twitter, and... Uh, and uh, or you can write Mike Meeky. It's his Albert Odyssey at hotmail.com. He he loves receiving comments about our Um So oh yes, because I'm so knowledgeable. You're so knowledgeable. The it's the game you play the most. I, you know, Mike. I know you haven't actually played the game, but I also know that you downloaded every single screenshot of those little girls taking off their clothes in battle. So well, that just comes with the territory. If the game shows such things, then I must peruse. It's um, it's a journalistic endeavor so that I can be fully informed as to the artistic quality of the development team, right? Oh, absolutely. Gotta do your research. So, he says, this is Andy Kay, also known as Tiggs Panther. I heard the review on our Local series and wanted to make my own comments about the third game. Personally, I had fun with it, although I can see where a lot of criticism came from. As the ob- uh, I, I noticed that it's the third game in particular. Yeah, that, that seems to be the one that generated the most heat. Uh, as the options uh, were present, I used the Japanese audio track with the English text. I think that the bulk of the issues comes from the localization, especially with the voicing. Characters like Saki, who were merely irritate, who I'm sorry, who was merely an irritating airhead teenager in the Japanese, becomes a grown-up with a preschool personality in the dub. To be honest, the dub characterization was what kept me with the Japanese voices. All in all, I did enjoy it. The battle system created complexity from layers of simplicity, and the audio was gorgeous. Dungeon design was tedious in places, though. And yes, the fan service level was ridiculously high, even before the localization. 
I enjoyed listening to the backtrack, especially as it could be interesting to hear where people's opinions differ from mine. In fact, in this case, I was expecting a game I enjoyed, despite its flaws, to be ripped apart without mercy. Instead, I got a set of well-thought-out reasons why certain parts didn't work for people. And this is exactly why I like Out of a Review Show. Signed, Andy Tiggs K from Surrey, England. Well, thank you very, very much, Andy. Not not only do I thank you for writing that in, but it's very well written and unusually mature, <laughs> uh, considering yes, some of the other Andy, things we've read Andy in the past. <laughs> Andy, you get a lot of kudos bars from us for your ability to step back and not get inflamed instantly. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a surprisingly rare quality, and we should treasure it. You know, I, I you know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I was going to do a contest tonight, but I'm a little tired, and I really enjoyed that letter. So I think instead, Andy, if you're listening to this, if you can uh, shoot me off another email, if you're a Steam user, I'd be happy to share with you one of the games that I have in my Steam gift library, which is... Kind of a little bigger after that last Steam sale, I think. Uh, I've got uh, I've got Defense Grid, Freedom Force, a very excellent a very excellent comic book based RPG. Um, I got some Torchlight One, and for some reason you haven't gotten around to that. Got uh, did I mention Defense Grid? That's a really good one. Half Life Two. I got Cthulhu Saves the World with Breath of Death. You know, seven. If you haven't played that one yet, that's really fun. I got a copy of Try Two hiding in here. And you know what, Miki? I still got Lord of the Rings Legos. You know, so. Yeah, pick from any of those, my friend. Uh, oh, Left 4 Dead 2, I got one of those lying around. I got a couple of portals, so pick from any of those, and we will be happy uh, Sanctum, which is a tower defense shooter. You mean, you mean a couple of portal games and not a couple of actual portals that will take people someplace else, No, right? my portals, like, take you out to Venus, where you can't breathe and you'll die instantly. Oh, you can breathe. You can breathe all the CO2 in the air, yeah. and you can experience the, what, what is it, uh, about 500 Celsius temperatures of Venus. And, yes, you can experience your body melting in the heat. So. And then you can you can really foul up the next spacecraft that gets sent out to Venus and finds human remains. So please do that, actually. It will it, Your memory will be treasured forever. There you go. So, uh, yeah, uh, congratulations, uh, Andy. And we'll see if we can't get the full audio th- uh, version at the end of this. So hang on tight if you're listening, and we'll see if we can't get that on there. Again, write your comments. You never know. You, too, might win a game from my extremely impressive Steam gift library. <laughs> It's just it's just whatever's left over after I buy some of these packages. Um, very awesome stuff, though. Free is always good, especially if I've played some of these before. Hmm. Let's take a look at what, what what are we talking about next? We are talking about rolling a seven on the next RPG backtrack number ninety eight. We'll be talking about some of those Final Fantasy spinoffs like Dirge of Serapis, Crisis Core, Final Fantasy seven spinoffs. Yeah. Let's be specific. Well, that's what, that's what I meant when I said rolling a seven earlier. You know. Right. Yeah. But you never know. If you don't, if you aren't specific, then people might just think that we're talking about uh, the after years or whatever. And Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. You know, we're really coming in fast on that 100th episode. It's and we. I, it's I coming want up. That to be, it's coming up. It's let's huge. Not, let's not tell people what that is. Yet. No, it's a surprise. Lots of surprises coming up on that show. You want to make sure you don't miss out on that. And um, you know, have we got any ideas for our theme song music yet? Because we got to change your theme song music. It's 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 starting to get old. I will. We will change it for the 100th episode. We have. To. I will definitely yep. have something. Have to call something good. I'll give it the the, the 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 nice voiceover that it so richly deserves. So I've just come up with these things every single time. It's great. So and yes, yeah. Uh, eagle-eyed listeners will remember that we were going to try and do Blue Dragon for our for this episode. Well, uh, so apparently our attempts to record a Blue Dragon episode are cursed. We will try again eventually, but. 
it really doesn't work when only one person is here who knows about the games. That makes for a very one-sided and dull conversation. I think that pretty much tells us just how exciting Blue Dragon is, Mickey. Um, I don't want to condemn it unplayed, which is uh, which is what I would be doing if I came off too negative here. So I'm negative nilly. Let, let's just... Blue Dragon will someday get its day in the sun, and or in the shadows. all of the Blue Dragon fans <laughs> will rejoice, and all the non-Blue Dragon fans will uh, say something else. Mm. So, you know what time it is, don't you, Mike? Uh, well, it's 28 past the hour, and the hour depends upon where we are in the world. What's the time in the show? What is it time for? Is it time for Pimpage? No... Oh my gosh, how we've slipped our memory so fast. It's time for a next one of the final top ten countdown. Oh, d- how could you forget? D- oh my gosh. Here, here, I'm getting my cartoon mallet and hitting myself from the head. Okay, so as I've been doing for the last six issues, this is Phil's personal top ten list of his personal top ten favorite games as we get down to the uh, to 100th episode where I will tell you my favorite game. This is completely subjective. It's completely Phil. It gives me something to do on the show, like this one, where I got to talk about nothing, because Final Fantasy Star Online. No, not my cup of tea. But you know what is my cup of tea? The next number. Number four. We're up to four, Minky. It's coming in. We're coming in close. Number four. Number four. Number four. And I just actually just mentioned it a, a second ago. You know, it's it is it is. This is a this is a very under. I won't say if it's underrated, but it is underappreciated tactical type of RPG that is often overlooked by most of the gamers at RPGamer.com because it's in two areas that they really don't care for. <laughs> it's not. A, it's um. It's not on a console. It's on the PC. We, we don't do a lot of PC gaming uh, at RP Gamer. We do do some, but not not enough in my opinion. And um, and it's it's not exactly a JRPG. It's more of a, I would almost say it's a tactical RPG of sorts. It is also not set in a traditional fantasy setting. No, instead, it is set back in the past. I think it's set in the Silver Age, in fact. The Silver Age of comics. Yes, I am talking about Freedom Force. I was going to say, this is an FF, right? That's right. Freedom Force. Freedom Force is just mind-blowingly awesome. And, I, I mean, I'll just start first with the with the story. And Freedom Force, there is a, also a, free, a second Freedom Force game called Freedom Force Third Reich. You would think that would be the third one because that's the, you know. But it's not. It's it's the set, it's kind of a prequel sequel of sorts. You'll have to play it to, to know what I mean. But both of them are very excellent game. Both of them are set in uh, basically they read like or they the story and the characterizations and the dialogue feels like it is ripped from the appropriate age in comic history. I grew up reading comics and reading old comics, especially the silver going on to the golden age type of stuff. Freedom Force is absolutely positively without a doubt a love letter to comic book lovers everywhere who enjoys that older stuff it is just they absolutely get down the hamby voice acting the corny dialogue but it's done so lovingly the steve dicko art style the the fact that the art in the game it looks like it's been um uh that dot shading that they used to do on the newspaper print 
it is just all there. It is lovingly done by people who adore old school comics with completely original characters. There's no Marvel or DC characters here, and and that might seem like a big minus. But once you get into the game, you'll instantly you know connect certain characters with some of your favorite iconics, and you won't even miss the fact that it isn't really Captain America or the Human Torch. It, the story and the dialogue is super super awesome. It's a lot of fun. And it is uh, it is just a refreshing break if you've been playing too many you know Final Fantasy you know ripoffs and the such. But this would not. I've said this before. Story's really great in RPG, but really you're spending most of the time in combat. And Freedom Force nails this. You're basically got the Baldur's Gate style of pausing combat. You're going from one scenario to the next. You're basically going from one issue of a comic to the next. So after there's some dialogue and going back and forth, there's no real role playing as far as you're not really making major decisions that are going to uh, change the 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 end of the comic story. But you will oftentimes pick out which character are going to be involved in the next scenario. Um, You will get to level up those characters and give them uh, new powers or uh, make their current powers more powerful. As you level up, there's a lot of choices being made there. And you will come quickly to love certain combinations or just certain characters based not only on which ones are most effectively in combat, but just which ones you like to hear more talk and jab while they're in combat. Uh, When the fighting's going on, again, kind of like Bar's Gate, you can pause, you can give orders, and hit the space bar again and see the action unleash, or you can just unload, you know, do your do your commands in real time. Um, if you're a strong superhero, these are 3D. Uh, these are definitely 3D graphics, though the the camera is pulled back in that isometric form. Um, but you can send your strong guys to go and pick up a car or rip up a lamppost and use it as a big bat. And and, and because of the 3D graphics, that looks particularly cool. And there's some there's some loose physics at play, so that when you smack a bad guy, he goes flying halfway across the park. It's hilarious. It's fun. It's a blast. Your flying superheroes can fly up off the ground. Uh, your your stronger superheroes can jump up on the buildings if you're trying to do a quick getaway or just get a, a better. Uh, vi- uh, uh, higher ground it's just it's just a, a ton a ton of fun and and because you've got the strong superheroes and the more tanky superheroes like uh, you know the iron man ripoff uh who could take damage a little bit better you've got their version of the scarlet witch who kind of sits back there with her southern access and says oh peaches and cream just hilarious uh you've got these uh you got a nice diverse array of characters that when you're fighting you will be make you will be using that rpg tactical style of thinking of who do you want in the front and who do you want in the back and oh this enemy just got around here. There are also elemental weaknesses and strength to consider in combat as well. Um, uh, yeah, being able to rip the... There's lots of different environments when you're fighting in the in the caves. You're picking up rocks instead of cars and things like that. And it's a little bit darker and harder to get around. And flying doesn't really work too well there. But uh, plenty of different environments to play around with. Uh, lots of cool villains to play against. Big, big, uh, big bosses that will test you. Just a lot, a lot of fun. One of the coolest aspects of the game is you can actually design your own superhero. Now, there are third-party mod websites where you can download and import the skins from your favorite mod. Marvel or DC characters, and, and, and some people are going to go out and do that. But hey, there's a number of games where I can go out and play X-Men or whatever have you. So I created my own comic book superhero that I drew uh, when I was a kid and just took one of the skins, changed the coloring on it, and it looked fabulous it's just you just change the skin you import it uh, and it's just great and then you give it powers closest to your superheroes you remember it it was just a lot a lot a lot of fun 
Um, and then the second one goes back uh, to the Bronze Age of comics, where those superheroes really didn't have big, flashy powers. You're talking about people like Zaro, for crying out loud, who was, what, fancy with a rapier. You're going to find, you know, heroes like that who, oh, this one guy, he's just a really good sharpshooter. Um, and yet they, they bounce it away to where they it still fits in if you do get those other characters involved, which may happen, you know, from time to time. Uh, the the gameplay in the second one was tightened up a little bit. It's definitely uh, changed some of the core elements of the battles, uh, but uh, I enjoyed absolutely both of them. I mean, they were just absolutely a blast to play um, and, and being able to play the Golden or Silver Age and then going back to the Bronze Age was really, really neat when playing these in succession. You can get them off of, uh, I believe, Steam uh, real cheap. I think GOG only has one of them, which is kind of unfortunate. I was kind of hoping because I like my DRM free games and I was kind of hoping they would get both, but it hasn't happened. They have Freedom Force versus the Third Reich, but they don't have the original Freedom Force yet, so... Uh, Freedom First versus the Third Reich is $6. Well worth that price. And then on Steam, you can get uh, Freedom Force, um, the original one. Oh, that's funny. They don't have Freedom Force. Oh, yes, they do. They have them both. They have them both for $7.49 each. Get them on a Steam sale for free. Um, or just win one of our contests. Cause, or watch my Twitter. Because sometimes I just give away copies of that game on Twitter because it's just so awesome. So I haven't played versus the Third Reich yet, Phil, but I did find a brand new copy for two bucks at an estate sale last month. Oh, well, there you go, awesome sauce. Yeah, it'll still run off the disc just fine. I haven't had a problem having it run on on more modern rigs, but of course your mileage will vary if you're trying to run it off a, a disc on Windows 8 or something um, or a newer PC. But you might have to tweak a little bit because it is a, a bit of an older game nowadays. Um, but uh, the Steam versions uh, and the GOG versions tend to be a little bit more up to date and tend to work. You know, have a higher compatibility ability rating either way you play it go out and play these games absolutely awesome just hands down i would i this game these games are so good that so so phil which one of these is number four did, well freedom did force you make a choice oh yeah yeah freedom okay. force absolutely uh, the original one because it'll suck you into number two number number because <laughs> because I, I i would say you know i played these years ago and so i off the top of my head i couldn't really get into details about how the com- I know that I remember for a fact the combat difference between the two I couldn't tell you exactly how or that one blew me away much more than the other however the story and the characters are going to appeal to the mass audience better for the first one as well as it does to me as well because most of us older fogies are silver golden age fanboys uh, going back to the you know really bronze age uh, things is really old school and yeah, it's it's still fun it's a trip worth taking but it won't be as uh, high of appeal so that's why the original Freedom Force gets the, gets the crown here. But yeah, definitely go and check them out. Let me know what you think if you've played them, uh, especially if you played them recently. I would love to hear more from you. And we'd be happy to post your comments, read them on the air. Or if you send me an MP3 file, I'll be happy to go ahead and append it um, just like I'm doing tonight. So that is my number four. But now it's time for me to stop talking because it's time to do our gosh dang kitchen sink really isn't really one day we'll come up with a with a better name for the sub segment. But this is part of the show where we go around the table and let our guests do some talking for a while. Mr. Minky talk about the games they're playing, the shows they're watching or what they're doing at RPGamer.com. It's time for pimpage. So who wants to pimp first? How about Cassandra Ramos? Um, not too much on my end. I there's a feature coming up. Can't really say much about it. Just look forward to it. I guess there's always a feature coming out every so often around here. As for what I've been playing, I recently finished um, nine 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 hours, nine persons, nine doors. My first non RPG in what feels like a long time. How good was it? 
very, very good. Very good. Um, All right. Very good story. Um, like, uh, I wish I could, like, I want to jabber on about it, but I'd be spoiling so darn much. And it's, it's not an RPG, so I probably shouldn't spoil it on this podcast. Yeah. But it's really good. I mean, even if you think you don't like adventure games or um, visual novel games, give it a shot. And uh, I finished the last story finally. It took me long enough, even though it's like a 30-hour game. So how did you enjoy that? I enjoyed that pretty much. Uh, I, there's some very noticeable flaws in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of. That's why I asked because I I've seen that the opinions on that one have also been a bit mixed. Yeah, I mean, sure, it was a lot. It was along with Xenoblade and Pandora's Tower as the you know the Operation Rainfall games, but it's nowhere near as good as Xenoblade. But it's I mean it's a good game. Don't get me wrong, of course. I mean, okay, the falls. I guess the story is cliched as all get out. You'll pretty much predict everything coming. And uh, the uh, well, the combat system takes a little getting used to. I actually rather enjoyed it, but it's, it's a bit different. And uh, the graphics are all over the place. Um, it's and it's very dark, which is like 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 dark. The lighting is very dark. It's unusual. It can be hard to make out things. But uh, the characters are absolutely delightful. I I really I really like them all. Just that the combat's a lot of fun, and the voice acting is quite good, as is the uh, script. In fact, uh, it's. I actually came across some like some sort of like a uh, British Isles phrases I never heard before like throw a, what was it throw a lolly throw a lorry something like that that a char- the character Seren says that I had to look up like what does that mean I never heard that before which basically means like throw a tantrum or throw a fist I believe hmm. and but yeah it's it's a, it's a pretty good game it's definitely not Xenoblade good but it's good cool 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 well sounds like you're a pretty pretty busy person. Okay. What about what about? Are you, gonna, are you gonna try Pandora's Tower next to make it? Oh yeah. All three of you the Operation do it. Rainfall. Do it. Gotta do the full rain. Gotta do the full rainstorm. And eventually, it's not next to my list. I mean, I just got that. I figured, hey, XC brought it out. I'll thank you know, I'll thank him for their efforts by buying it. But I, you know, if, if that if that didn't come out, I wouldn't have really cared. Well, it always did seem like the the less publicized third stepchild of that relationship. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, Mr. Calendar. Well, I suppose what I should really do is, well, I, well, I suppose all I can easily do is basically uh, give you the stuff that I gave on my last uh, RPG cast appearance. Nothing wrong with um, that. I recently finished, did my completed my first run through Persona 4 Golden on Vita. Uh, it's a stunningly amazing game, and anyone who hasn't played Persona 4 or Persona 4 Golden should go out and play it. What was um, your game time? Oh, God. Quite. Mm, I haven't got my Vita to hand at the moment, but I think it was over thirty hours, possibly over forty. You think? That's actually pretty fast, from what I understand about those games. Yeah, I once I settled into um. I don't think I I I, I can remember a couple of times that I did spend like kind of semi level grinding. Uh, once I actually got some decent Persona fusions, though, it all kind of slotted into place fairly easily. Um. Getting the, I I I think I was I remember mentioning it was either on my Twitter feed or on the post I made on the forums that I think I was only, uh, three social links short of a full completion. No, Dang. four. Okay. Yeah, uh, four. There were four things I was short on. I didn't get. I didn't max out Emperor before the end of the game. Sorry, Kanji. Sorry. Uh, I got Emperor to nine, Temperance to eight. Um, Jester got stuck at two. Which is the golden one of the golden exclusive ones, and I didn't do any of Margaret's requests, so Empress stayed at one. Uh, every other social link was maxed out. 
including Aeon. Dang, that's dedication. Yeah, so it kind of meant that um, like fusing up some decent personas for the last like couple of dungeons was actually fairly simple. Uh, and the those uh, because in New Game Plus your Persona Compendium carries over. I'm currently using those same personas to um, you know basically face roll the early part of the game. Um, the other stuff I've been playing, um, Kerbal Space Program, which is the adorable space program simulator that I know I've mentioned, I think maybe even on a backtrack or two before, um, is uh, advancing forwards. Um, it's still in, like, sort of alpha testing stage, um, but they're adding some really interesting stuff in the next patch, which is going to make my save games invalid. I'm going to have to basically start again, which is not so bad. Um, because things like they're doing a moon retexture to make it look more like an actual moon or like more like our moon with proper craters and stuff. I'm looking forward to that. If you, uh, I, I should probably stick up like a better post about Kerbal Space Program because it was it did go down on to on sale during the recent Steam Summer Sale. Um, one of the other things I picked up during the Steam Summer Sale was um, NBA 2K13, a.k.a. the most fun I've had with a sports game in at least three years. Um, Have you played other, other NBA 2K games before? No. Although, I can certainly see uh, the reasons why everyone prefers this one to the nearest EA equivalent. Because, well, it's it's pretty damn good. I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I will not call myself the biggest basketball fan ever. I, I have never been especially interested in the sport, but the game is, well, it's just really well structured. It plays very well, and it's very responsive and stuff. And it is kind of cool to basically just create your own character and and sort of take them through, you know, like a kind of career and stuff. It's kind of cool. Um, and then yeah, the that's... one, that's... go on. That's just impressive to me because Sega originally developed the 2K series as a way of making sure that the Dreamcast had sports games right at launch, which the Saturn did not, and Sega suffered for that elsewhere in the world. And that the quality is still going this far out in advance, out from yeah. I, as far as I know, the 2K the 2K uh, thing is now actually coincidentally controlled by 2K, as in 2K <laughs> games. Um. And I think they've done. A, I think they've done a pretty good job with it. I mean, and the PC port is really good. It's it it runs exceptionally well on my PC and looks amazing. Oh well, the like the, the environments look amazing and the players look amazing. The crowds are a little suspect, as are some of the NPCs. But generally, you're not focusing on them that much. I hope not, or else you probably aren't doing very well in the game. No, yeah, you're concentrating too much on the fact that the the the, the uh the, the crowd is is what could best be described as low detail. Then yeah, you're probably looking in the wrong place. And then the last game on my list here is the one that will make Mike happy, which is Gundam Breaker. Have you been following that one at all? I haven't. Mostly well, I I'll get into what I've been playing shortly, but uh as as you know by a recent review I put up, well that tells you where a lot of my hours have been spent lately. <laughs> ah, yes. Gundam Breaker is a th- it's a third-person action game, um, fairly similar to, um, say, for example, Dynasty Warriors Gundam. Okay, or just, or just Or just Dynasty Warriors in general, it kind of feels same same kind of genre. Um, but this time, you are basically um, you build your own unit out of Gumpler parts, which are Gundam models. Okay. The, the entire the entire game is basically Gundam models beating the crap out of each other. 
I can, can think of much worse ideas for a game. And you can basically um, sort of mix and match your player unit with the parts that you pick up. How many potential Gundam parts can we are we talking about here? Um, uh, the separations are well. The the, the categories for parts are uh, heads, bodies, arms, legs, backpacks, ranged weapon, melee weapon. Uh, I think those are all the distinct parts. There's also color scheme modifications as well. Um, if you do the math, that's quite a lot of combinations. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot I... of parts. I mean, they. Uh, at the moment, I haven't actually got very far in the game, so all I've unlocked at the moment are just like kind of piddly, crappy little parts for the machines that get blown up whenever a main character looks at them funny. <laughs> um, but I'm starting to pick up like some better weapons and stuff like that, um, some better beam sabers. But my 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 unit does look like some kind of Frankenstein monstrosity at the moment, made out of things that generally would not last long in a real Gundam series. But what's what's neat is um, your models are basically either um, high grade or master grade models of a certain scale. Um, the uh, I think the master grade stuff are basically higher quality parts with better stats. But it is possible to encounter um, bigger units as bosses. Uh, one of the earliest bosses you fight is a one in sixty perfect grade Gundam, original Gundam, which is of course naturally bigger than you because you are a 144 scale model right. so you basically they take the form of kind of big imposing boss fight and that was fun that was that was crazy fun there's a, there's also a fairly in-depth um multiplayer mode i haven't really jumped into that because i'd be placed with japanese people and well you know yeah that that would depend upon you getting on a server that and yeah, I think, I, I think the lag would kill me. And to be brutally honest, the 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 single player so far has been fun enough. Anyway, I like the customization stuff. So yeah, that, that sounds that, pretty attractive to me. Yeah, yeah, that's what I've been playing. That sounds like fun. All right, what about you, Mister Mickey? You play anything fun? Well, okay. The thing about Project X Zone, which I like to say better than Project Cross Zone, so that's how I'm going to say it. That, that looks fun. It, it's got Chun-Li. It does have Chun-Li, and it has Morrigan. Oh, oh Morrigan. And they're a team. Ooh. And you've got um, Lele. I, well, they're, they're using the Japanese voice acting, so she's called Lele instead of Sienko, because uh, I don't know why Capcom renamed her. Anyway, several Darkstalkers characters. Actually, Darkstalkers gets a big representation in this game. Get your Street Fighter guys. You know, th these these guys, Ryu and Ken, are you familiar with these guys at all, Phil? Have you ever heard of these Ryu and Ken people? Damn. Man, they are pulling from some obscure references there, aren't they? They are. And then there's this Arthur guy who keeps having his armor knocked off, and he talks about fighting demons in the land of ghosts and goblins. You know, that uh, mu I don't know. he must be from one of them, you know, tiling games that never even made it to any of the major countries. He must be. And, and these, this Jill Valentine and Chris Redfield talking about fighting zombies. Well, I know, I know about Valentine. Isn't that on the calendar? It is. So I should have played this in February. Yeah, right? absolutely. Hey, Mike, just answer, answer me seriously on this one. Do they make a master of unlocking joke, or or a Jill sandwich, no, or a Jill sandwich joke? There is a Jill sandwich reference. Uh, yes, Chris. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll let you find out for yourself. 
I don't remember exactly how it worked right now because that was in the middle of the game and that was a good 40 hours ago in game playing time. Uh, and of course we've got Reiji and Xiaomu because it's a dimension crossing game, they're in it. Which also explains the presence of Haken and Kaguya. <laughs> yeah, and we've got... God damn it. Uh, I, confusing I, Zanger, Zumble... See, there are so many damn... Tra- Namco Bandai put umlauts over his name, which makes reading it even more interesting than it was before, but it's Zenger. And, well, having him, having his theme song playing in this game is just freaking awesome. No one will deny that. I, I'm saying this now. No one will deny it. And... That's only, there's only about four people on the site who know who he is. And all of them who know who he is will not deny it. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's true. All they, all, the, all that's really missing now is um, Elzam. Yeah, I, I would have loved to see him in here, but as it stands, by the time you finally get everyone on your team, and you're pretty deep into the game by the time that happens, you've got 20 teams and 20 solo characters. So putting Elzam in there would have made mean you have to keep, uh, I don't know, Tron Bon out or... Uh, who else? There's so many damn characters in this thing. It kind I, of I, I, well, from reading your review, it just kind of sounds like Project X Zone occasionally sounds like um, it suffers from a couple of similar pacing issues to Super Robot Wars, which is hardly surprising, really. <laughs> hardly, but what Super Robot Wars does so well is give you things to do outside of battle so that you can customize your units and have them ready to do whatever you might want in the next fight. You don't really get to do that here. You get an item, a weapon that you can equip, and, a, and an accessory, and that's it. Aside from switching the solo units around. You don't get to do anything else. And even the pairs, you, can't, you can never break them apart. They're always together. And... Because... And also, each character does pretty much play the same. I didn't feel like mentioning that in the review because it was getting pretty long. Cassandra proved it. She knows it was a pretty long review. Mm-hmm. But here, here's how you do it with every team. Uh, if it's an enemy that has a guard, and you remember these, John, these things from the Endless Frontier games that, that you have to break the guard on before you can start damaging them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, same mechanic. Yep. If there's a guard, then you deal with that. Otherwise, you generally have your team start attacking. Come, Have the solo character jump in, because if you have the solo character and the support characters jumping in with your main team, then uh, your XP meter charges faster. And you just wail on it as much as possible, and you make sure to use all five of your available moves so that you can have an extra move pop in, and you do as much damage as possible, and then if you've managed to charge up your XP meter enough to use your super, then you use that. Then, if it's a boss, it will probably counterattack you. If it isn't a boss, then you probably just killed it. And you do that. Again and again and again. And the enemy variety really did need to be improved some. Sure, we get the the Merolians from Space Channel 5, and you beat the crap out of them multiple times. And you get the red armors and the white armors from Ghosts and Goblins, and boy, I hope you love seeing Vile. Actually, I did like seeing Vile from Mega Man X, but I didn't need to kill him six more times before he finally dies. 
Uh, Again, the, I think that's a problem carried over from both Super Robot Wars and technically Endless Frontier, and that some of the plot characters did take a little while to sort of die permanently. It's true. I, I can't deny it, and I did even mention that. But somehow it's even worse here, because in the final battle in particular, first, a whole bunch of bosses are just brought in because uh, the true enemy says, well, I've, I've mastered the ability to use memories from across the dimensions or something like that. And then you can't you can't do anything to the final boss until you get a certain character into position to break down its barrier. And then once the barrier is down, well, here, a whole bunch of the bosses you just killed, they're back again, along with some others, and they're going to be getting in your face all the time unless you can kill that final boss really fast. Um, yeah, it's just... Sometimes it's just ridiculous with the enemies. At least in Super Robot Wars, when you fight the same enemy multiple times, usually you don't need to beat them multiple times. Usually it's a, a battle mastery or something of that sort. It's just... When you, when you see uh, Vindel Mauser's mech in OG2, you only need to kill it once. And the, if you try and fight it the one time it shows up before that, good freaking luck. But, uh, yeah, the, the Zweizer gain or whatever it was called. Yes, yeah, Zweizer gain. That's it. Was pretty beastly. <laughs> but here, almost every mission is kill everything. There are only a couple that don't make you do that, and even then, you're probably going to have to kill everything in order to reach the goal. And at least the final mission does not make you kill everything. Once you kill the final boss, that's it. But. I, my final game clock on this was um, 72 hours and change and if I had taken it at a more leisurely pace I probably wouldn't have such mixed feelings about it but I couldn't take it at a, at a leisurely pace because Mac only got a review copy after it came out and I wanted to bust that thing out as quickly as possible for him and as for the story well you get lots of funny references and I I happen to love Mega Man X4, so I love that uh, that's the primary reference for our Mega Man X stuff here. But, especially in a game where you need to kill things so many times, even a few times reusing the same maps is just lazy. So yeah, Project X Zone. I like it. I can't say... Anybody who's playing it right now and, and is taking it at a more relaxed pace, I have a friend who's doing that, and he likes it more than I did by the end because he wasn't putting three hours into a, into a battle and then needing to go immediately on to the next three-hour battle, which is how long they get by the end. Yikes. Well, again, when you have to kill everything and you can't tune out for any of the fights or else you... Uh, that impacts your ability to do the the amount of damage necessary. And, yeah, you're going to be seeing the same things over and over and over again by the end. But just for the soundtrack alone, the sheer th the thrill of hearing Ryu's theme immediately followed by Morrigan's theme immediately followed by the Ghosts and Goblins music playing, that's pretty cool. Um, and let's see, I also reviewed Shining Tears recently. What do you know? It did make me cry some, because Sega... Why did you do this, Sega? You, 
you remade Shining Force 1 on the GBA and apparently not enough people bought it so lucky us we got another freaking action RPG in the Shining series and what a shocker it's not good yeah, it's it's really a thrill when I was initially interested in ex- in experiencing some of the side missions, and in order to get those, you need to go and replay your battles over and over again to build up your relationships with people. And then one of them does something stupid, gets killed. Oops, there went a couple of hours of my life. Thanks for nothing, Shining Tears. Um... Uh, you know, we'll go into this at greater depth sometime in the future when I schedule an episode devoted entirely to the action RPGs of the Shining universe. But that's not going to be soon because I'm it, I'm still too close to it. The bitterness hasn't left. And speaking of Shining action RPGs, I'm playing Shining Wisdom now, which not many people have played because it is a Saturn exclusive. And it is very different from the later Shining Action RPGs because this is a blatant Legend of Zelda ripoff. And not a very good one if we're judging it based solely on that because the hit detection is a little iffy. Not terrible, but occasionally you'll attack something and it looks like it hit it, but nope, it didn't. And you can only have one of your items equipped at once. The sword counts as an item. That's really, really annoying. And the story, well, you know, I'm not going to go into the story right now. It's it's from 1995. I can't complain too much, but really, we've just got, here's an evil guy. He's going to unearth the evil of long ago because he's evil. <laughs> and he know, you know he's evil because he just says, <laughs> when I unleash the, the dark titan. Then <laughs> chaos will overtake the land. That's his whole rationale. That's deep characterization right there. But again, it's 18 years old, so I can't come down on it too much for that. Uh, and it's not a very long game, I don't think, but I've been playing it in short bursts, so we'll see how long it takes before I get a review up for that. And after that, who who knows? Um. Uh, have you seen Pacific Rim, John? Uh, no, not yet. I don't like cinemas. Fair I'm enough. Waiting for it to, I'm waiting for it to come out on Blu-ray. It, it was an adventure getting to, to the cinema for this, but I did like it. Which says something when this has been a really disappointing year, movie-wise. I didn't love it. There are lots of little things that are stupid about it. In particular, well... The, the program is losing machines faster than it can build them, so the backup plan to protect the entire Pacific land mass from attack is to build a gigantic wall. Does that sound logical? Amazingly. Well, what do you know? It doesn't work. Really? Huh. I, I, I can sense your shock. You're just falling out of your chair. I can sense it. <laughs> but, yeah, on balance, I did like it. The characters aren't deep, but they're good enough to get the job done. And Guillermo del Toro is a good director who actually understands that, you know what, if I can understand what's happening 
by not cutting too quickly in the action scenes that's how you do this and that is as close as I will get to well it's just the very, the fundamental idea of Transformers movies only done better which is not difficult um, and I will also give a shout out to The Conjuring anybody who likes slow burn horror that is about suspense uh, this does it and I happen to like Vera Farmiga so that's a plus right there um, and I think Phil has a story from last week that involves a bear which he is going to share with us next sometimes you get the bear and sometimes the bear get you and I experienced both on my vacation so last week uh, my wife and I celebrated our 15th anniversary in style Decided to hop into the Hyundai Sonata and took a drive up to Wyoming to go stay in Jackson Hole, where everything, and I do mean everything, is decorated in antlers. In fact, when you go onto Expedia and you look up hotels in Jackson Holes, you won't see them rating them on a, you know, on a scale of one to five stars. No, it's all rated on antlers. All the hotels, antler rated. It's really great. So... We're driving up there. It's a five-hour drive from Salt Lake up to those national parks that are up there. That's why you go up to Wyoming, apparently. Half the state's a national park. <clears throat> and um, Well, Wyoming does have the lowest population of any state in the country. Yeah, yeah, except for antlers. They have the highest antler <laughs> population in the country. Tons and tons of antlers. But I digress. So are, were, you, were you trying very hard to avoid the antlers in the road as you drove through it? No, no, the road ain't the problem. It's the hotel rooms. It's the parks. It's the decorations in the restaurant. You, you can't get away from it anywhere but the, the road's safe. The road is antler-free. They do a good job keeping the roads clean. Anyway, so they want to keep them clean for the tourists. So we're driving up there. It's a five-hour drive. I'm about halfway, you know, there. It's about 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, mountain time. So I said, you know, a long drive. I'm kind of bored. I got my Bluetooth on. Why don't I just give work a call? So I give, my, I give the HR director there a call, check in on, you know, I, I run a department there at the hotel and stuff, check in on them, make sure everybody's happy. And um, and she says, uh, she she didn't sound cheerful at all. In fact, she didn't even answer my question. She just said, Phil, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to level with you, Phil. I'm not even going to try to, I'm just going to straight shoot it to you. Uh, the director, uh, the regional director, stopped by the hotel this morning, and he's here to fire your your boss, the general manager. <laughs> that guy's been there for like four years. He's been a part of the company for 15 or 20 years. He's been at that hotel as my boss for four years. And I'm like, you're, you're, you're joking me. She's like, no, I'm serious. No, you're joking. No, I'm serious. So I had to drive the rest of the way with that shock because, I mean, that they, you know, he's a boss four years, good friends, everything else. And it's just like, wow, out of the blue. I guess it can happen. That's what I get for taking a vacation. So, yeah, we went, uh, we went up there. We stayed at a, a hotel up there, a pretty nice place once they fixed the sheets anyways. So I'm taking pictures of all these ants. They fixed the sheets? Yeah, the sheets were a bit itchy. You know, we're, we're a little itchy. I, I don't know where they got the – the hotel room is very nice. Now, it took me a long time, Mike. To find a hotel on Expedia that didn't look like it was ripped out of some B-rate country movie. That's the only thing. For some reason, when you're surrounded, when you're when you're in a little tourist town that is surrounded by God's green, precious green earth, for some reason that inspires you to 
to make all of your rooms, all of your museums, everything this southwestern or country style. Everything's covered in, like I said, antlers, wood theme, uh, cabin theme, whatever have you. And I understand you go to these places to get away, but the hokiness, I, I don't even know what the adjective to use, but hokiness, I don't even know if that's a real word, but the hokey factor of the rooms just being so over-countryfied, it is sick. And you get it anytime you go outside of, any anytime you go anywhere between California and probably Missouri, any of those states in between there, anytime you stop at a small tourist trap town or anything like that like a ski resort or something they're all themed the same way and you get sick of it after a while mike so when i went to look for a hotel i looked for one that looked moderny and i finally found one and it, it's a bit expensive one. yes one out of like literally dozens and and since it was the only one that had a modern look to it you better believe it cost an arm and a leg but for the 15th anniversary it was worth it and it was really nice the room was very modernly designed the way we like it uh it was just that the sheets you know it's like they stole them from the hampton not even the now hampton is kind of nice they, they stole it from the Motel 6. So, whatever. The, the manager was absolutely bent over backwards to run out to a nice, you know, find some nicer sheets, and, and they were good. Anyway, so I'm, I'm just astonished by the shit. But as soon as you walk out of the hotel room, because this was in a resort area, you're surrounded by restaurants and shops. Again, it looks like you got lost in the, uh, in the deep south almost with all these cabins and people wanting to sell you pork rinds and everything else. I'm sitting here taking pictures to send to my mom because my mom is from Tennessee. She is from the South. She loves all this stuff. She decorates half her house in bear heads and deer heads and antlers and woods, you know, those those fake uh, wood signs, you know, that look like they're made out of wood. Yeah, like your bathroom yeah. over here down south, you know, go pee in the hole. Mom loves that kind of stuff. So I'm taking a picture with my, with my brand new expensive cell phone that I just bought. And and I'm sending the text to her while I'm falling behind Shirley, walking on a sidewalk, and there was a crack in the sidewalk about half an inch, just enough to catch the toe of my shoe. I stumbled a bit. The very expensive cell phone goes flying out of my hand. It was like a slow motion uh, from a movie. I'm like, no! As I saw the cell phone fall face down first onto the concrete. And the front now has a nice deep crack going all the way through. But... It's working. It is. Yes. It is still working at the moment. I'm gonna have to. They said it'd be like a hundred and eighty bucks to repair. And of course, getting a new one will be even a more. lot more. So yeah, yeah, one of those early. Yeah. So uh, oh well, you can't win them all. This is this is what we call the Willis luck. Anything new that I touch will eventually die in a ball of flames. Anyway, so uh, but we had a really nice dinner there, and then the next morning we did we went on a tour. They t- they have these tours. It was part of the room package. They took us on a tour of the um, the Tet National Forest there, and the tour guide and there was two other people in on that tour with us apparently a lot of animal and nature lovers so they were going back and forth about camping out in the wilderness and doing all this stuff that us city slickers went in touch with the tinfoil pole we're, we're just there to kind of get away for a little bit and they're talking about things and i'm like yeah i saw a bear once on world of warcraft he was nasty i killed him with a spell you know that that's me so so but they're talking about the dangers of facing a bear and how to defend yourself from the bear they got this bear spray on sale 50 bucks a pop pretty expensive to get rid of a bear but i guess when one's in your face you really don't care uh you'll spend the 50 bucks uh but yeah they're 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 kind of talking back and forth about it um and i kept joking with them because i'm like wow so on the tour we got to see a moose in the thicket we got to see a lot of buffalo we saw a lot of rare birds and flowers and i'm like but you know what you guys kept talking about the bear and i didn't see a bear and of course they're they're joking back well you don't want to see a bear close well on the way back we got to see 
a bear up close. Well, as we're going through the little trail, back to the hotel, we were literally just a mile from being out of the park, and that le- then we'd be right back at the hotel. And uh, yeah, right there, there was a bear. And there's a very loose fence along the road. Any animal could get through this. It's just a couple of wood planks. Uh, but there was a oh, bear. Yeah, one of those. yeah. And there was a bear right there. And I got a beautiful picture of him with my broken cell phone camera. Um, but but it, it came through, you know, really really well. So uh, that was awesome. That w- that was good. And uh, we spent the rest of the time doing some shopping for uh, for some souvenirs for everybody, and uh, came back. So spent the rest of the time feeling bad about my boss getting canned because he was a real, really nice guy. But um, I, what are you gonna do? Now I got a new boss, and he's a nice guy too. So it's all good. Um, so yeah, I I did being the true nerd that I am. I drive all that way, go to America's uh, beautiful, gorgeous national parks to do what? To play my Nintendo DS, of course. And um, DS and 3DS. Uh, no, I actually took. Let me think for a second. I actually took my PSP. So oh. yeah, yeah, to um, to fire up some more. So I figure I I remember um, Mr. Cunningham and I got into a little bit of a tête-à-tête regarding Ark the Lad. And uh, so I loaded up my save file from last year, from before that argument, and I remember telling him something along the lines that there was a lot of positive qualities to the game, but the grinding was was really getting to me. Um, so I loaded it back up. I couldn't remember where I was at. I had to keep going to different countries till I figured out which country had the battle I stopped at. Realized why I stopped, because that battle is a two-stage battle, and the second stage kicked my party's ass, just totally underleveled. So I can only remember, like, one random place you can go to, like a dungeon where you can, you know, kind of go and level up. And while I'm sitting there in the nice pool that they had at the hotel, looking at gorgeous mountains uh, in the distance, I had my PSP in hand, grinding uh, Ark the Lad. In between the phone calls of people calling from work telling me, oh my god, this is what's going on today, and give me the update of what was kind of... So that was my relaxing, you know, vacation out there. Um, and then when I came back home, it's mostly um, just trying to clean up the house. I did polish off Tomb Raider, finally. It really is an RPG, but... It is a gorgeous and fun fun game that everybody should play through. And only which Tomb Raider, the new one, the new one. And you know, here's a hilarious thing: Square Enix, man. I'm telling you, I I love Square Enix to death. But my support, my my unbro- normally Square Enix games, I normally go out and buy them without thinking twice. They're usually games that I enjoy playing, especially the Final Fantasy games. Um, I'm kind of a fanboy. I'll even buy the guidebook or the collector's edition, and I've done that up to this point. And for the most part, I don't regret it. However, we talked a bit before about the new direction final fantasy going why i don't like it who cares we're moving on but um one thing that just continues to slap me upside the head with every square enix game you think i would have learned when final fantasy 13 did this not too long ago um a few years ago and 13 2 did this as well is the fact that it comes out 60 bucks you go out and you support square enix but i'll be darned it just chaps your high just a little bit when less than three months later it's on sale for 15 bucks tomb raider did the exact same thing 60 bucks it came out. I bought my Tomb Raider, played my Tomb Raider, enjoyed my Tomb Raider. Don't get me wrong. Where it was worth it, but uh, it was on Steam sale during the big Steam summer sale for like 12 bucks. Ugh, I hate these people. So, yeah, the lesson here is when 13.3 or whatever comes out next, assuming it reviews well, I told you I'd even buy 15 if it reviews well, even though I don't like the direction they're going. But it will be after three months when the price has gone down to 12 bucks. It's just silly. It's happened with the last few three or four games that they've done. They dropped those prices like a rock. Um, I was stunned when they said Tomb Raider didn't sell enough copies to be 
um, profitable or, or meet their expectations or goals or whatever the deal was because the game sold pretty darn well. It wasn't a Call of Duty, but it sold several million copies from what I understand. I'm like, dang, nabbit. How many copies do you have to sell to meet expectations in this day and age? Squaresoft, uh, Square Enix or whatever, is really in a tough corner. If they really, you know, if Tomb Raider wasn't good enough for them, I, I sh- Granted, it's not a Call of Duty or whatever it is that makes these young kids happy, but it was a very well-made game, and they should have been proud of it. And it sold pretty well. It reviewed well. It sold well, but that's not good enough. So that kind of talk kind of feeds into that discussions we had earlier on the show about the polarization that's going on with those with those types of companies. Um, not a lot in the uh, retro news over the last couple of weeks. There were some good Steam sales out there. Games that if you, for whatever reason, did not pick up before, you should have picked up during Steam sale. Unfortunately, it was tied between my being on vacation that week and not getting a show recorded during the sale. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't really give a lot of buzz about what were some of the good retro RPGs on sale. But <laughs> but there were definitely some good deals to, to be had there. Um not a lot of good retro, not a lot of new retro RPG news though. Um, a couple of uh, I saw read an interview about this from the Spiderweb creator. Some of the, he's working on Avadon too. We've talked about his games before because he does those retro style, uh, Ultima style, isometric RPGs uh, that are are pretty fun. And I got an email actually from one of our listeners, um, and it was on my private inbox. Um, Hello, JC Servant. Thanks for the humble bundle. I finally got Vernum, a game you suggested to me years ago, but I didn't buy because it cost $20, which I consider too expensive. I've talked about this before. Spiderweb, the, uh, jo- uh, Mr. Vogel, his pricing strategies like to sell it on his website for $20 a pop for each game, and then uh, maybe a bundle of three of them for $55. And uh, But now with Steam, and he's starting to bring some of those games over to the iPad and Android, you can get them really, really cheap. Um, GOG had a sale. And then hum, hum, humble hum, humble bundle, which I I think I posted up on the forums that we talked about during the show. You could get all of his games, which used to be twenty dollars each. You could get all thirteen of them he's got out now for five bucks or less. <laughs> it's, it's just crazy. So yeah. Uh, but she says uh, I just or he says I decided to start out with a Vernum Escape from the Pit because it's a remake of the very first game or so I read. I really love it. Thanks for the suggestion. It's so much better than I ever imagined. So one again, if you're into tactical old school RPG, you miss the turn-based party-based combat that's been thrown out the window with newer RPGs. Um, yeah, it's definitely a, a good line of games worth checking out, and they got very interesting stories, very very interesting settings, different uh, things going on with the background and the countries and whatever. It's definitely worth getting into. Um, now he does have some questions I just want to read real fast and give an answer to uh, one question though once I'm finished with Avernum Escape from the Pit and want to know how the story or the lore continues uh, but I don't know I don't really want to deal with two outdated games where should I continue I hope I can skip Avernum 1 um, and uh, maybe go on to Avernum 2 then or the second trilogy right away yeah that's a that's a matter of some debate the the graphics do get a little bit better and the um, interface stuff gets a little bit better with Mr. Vogel's games as you kind of go on to the, especially to the second trilogy and such, but it's not a massive improvement at all. Um, 
If in fact, I didn't even really notice a big jump until I got into Avedon, which is his newest trilogy of games, uh, which looks actually kind of decent on the iPad with its higher crisp resolution, and probably looks decent on the PC screen as well. But before that, most of his games were like in 640 by 480 or lower. It, yeah, you don't play his games for the graphics, that's for sure. Um, any intel on the other games including the bundle, bundle, possibly without any spoilers? Well, he's got several trilogies of games in there. I'm not completely familiar with all of them. Um, we've talked a little, Avernum is basically Escape from the Pit. There's a couple of trilogies there that revolve around, uh, that story of you being outcast that are thrown from the upper world into this lower world where all the prisoners are thrown. And it's become a thriving underground, um, society, um, of many cities and towns, uh, as well as of course you know dark caves and things like that i mean it's one huge cave but you're you're the you're gonna be someone who hasn't seen sunlight in years if at all and the different trilogies have two different stories i believe if i remember correctly and it's been a while but i think the first one you're thrown down as a prisoner the second trilogy it's like you were born down in this you know you're just a child of of people who've been you know cast out from the kingdom down here and you may or may not without getting spoilerific you may or may not have opportunities to ever get out of that setting and go up to the surface or whatever but yeah you're playing through those stories then Gene Forge is another trilogy that's completely different. Um, you are a... And I forget the exact word for it. I almost want to say shapeshifter, but I've been watching too much Deep Space Nine. Um, but you are basically somebody who can summon and control um, other monsters. You summon life. You shape life. And depending on the the class, there's three major classes. You can pick one that relies more on magic, one that relies more on his conjurations, and one that I think relies more on his martial skills um, or something like along those lines. Or something. No, the one that's in between the magician and the conjurer. Um, you will make decisions and you will have a meet factions that you will have to affiliate yourselves with. It's very open world. It's very cool. And it's a little bit more down and dirty and to the point than the Avernum games where you're controlling a whole party here. You've got one guy and your party essentially are the creations that you summit. So uh, that's pretty cool. And Avedon is a newer, is a newer, the newest trilogy set in an entirely different setting where you are a member of the hand, uh, a huge, um, martial force that has unlimited resources at, it, as it, at its disposal to enforce the will of the leadership, which I want to say is called the head for some reason. So uh, another kind of open world game. In each of his games, you will make meaningful choices. They will have impact on people. Uh, a great example of that, one game I was playing was there was a city, you know, like you say in any RPG, help, help, we're being attacked by monsters. Now, we all know, and from a meta standpoint, in any of these games, if some townsperson is crying about some monsters and cave or something like that you can go out and do other stuff and get to it whenever you darn well feel like it because the villagers aren't going nowhere and the monsters aren't going nowhere they're kind of tied to their cave that person will wait till i kill off the monsters and i'll go back and tell that person they're dead and they'll give me my reward when i darn well feel like it and avernum what happened was <laughs> it didn't bother with those monsters i saw outside of town i went on did something else when i came back town was destroyed <laughs> NPCs were gone. People who used to sell me crap, like shopkeepers and stuff, dead. So listening to the people's problems and doing something about those random monsters outside of town and crap, 
it has an impact in his games. I mean, it's this is not going to be super deep stuff that you know is going to compete with Dragon Age Origins eight eighty million different endings or whatnot. But it is pretty cool when some of those immediate decisions you make or some of the things that you do have an impact later on in the story. People remember what you did and they you know communicate to you with that knowledge in mind. And this is coming from a one his original trilogies of games was a one man team. This was just something this guy pretty much essentially did in his basement or garage. Now that he's you know he's it's picking up more popularities like his third or fourth trilogy or whatever have you from what i understand from reading one of his interviews i think he's now up to a team of three woohoo so he's definitely an indie you know developer and he's really worth uh, looking into if you're into those old school games and you're and you hopefully don't mind uh some of the lowering graphics um but yes the humble ball you can get them all for a grand total fight that's really cool she says, do all the games have a character editor or only in the first game? Because some of the games have character I don't know. I never got into character e- e- editors. But it is very handy because you can go in and change your stats around, and that's what he's talking about because he got through the game. This happens very often with RPGs where you get halfway through the game and realize you made some bad choices. His games do not let you go back and easily redo those choices. It's old school. Um, so having the editor uh, really made this game for, for, uh, for a member there. So hopefully I've answered uh, your question. And uh, we again, we love your questions. JC Servant at cyberlightcomics.com. Tweet me, tweet us, JC Servant, something or rather. Go to rpgamer.com, write us on the forums, rpgamer.com, forum link on the left. Great place to get in contact with us there as well. And then we have our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash rpgamer, twitter.com forward slash rpgamer. It's all there. Um, I think that's about it. We got another show coming up really quick here. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up. Uh, we appreciate y'all for listening. Appreciate Mr. John. Jonathan, Miss Cassandra, Mr. Minky for putting this all together. Absolutely doesn't happen with you three guys uh, tonight, especially since Mike and I really haven't played any of these fantasy star games that we talked about today. So thank you so very much, you oh, two, for shush. being on. That, that whole 15 minutes I played 10 years ago was so fresh and insightful, wasn't well, it? Well, it's about as insightful as the pointy ear box comment I made, you know, because I like the box art. The box art was cute. So, that totally bakes the game, right, Cassandra? Hmm. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I'm asleep now. Well, we have come up with a new rating scale. I'm sure this will see much use in the future, right, Phil? Yeah, we give this one two pointy ears up. <laughs> yeah, all righty. Well, uh, RP Gamer, RP Gamer, are you? We're tired. RPG Backtrack is a production of RPGamer.com, your source for news, reviews, and home to the best role-playing community on the net so go check it out uh rpgamer.com that's where you're gonna find a lot of these things that we're talking about you can chit chat with us on the forums and oh so much more um and i've already given you all the links of where to chit chat with us at so i think we're cool there uh, help us shape our future shows and you might win something who knows also check out rpg cast that's our sister show every week jonathan mentioned it earlier they talk about all the current events so you'll definitely want to tap into that as well to keep up and it's back up now that Chris and Anna have come back from their honeymoon. Yay! Yeah, I actually see my Warcraft once in a while. Of course, now I'm the one who's not really spending a lot of time because I've been busy. So, it's awesome. It's cool. It's time for bed. Mr. Minky, do the honors. Uh, yeah, it is time for bed. Uh, and, oh yeah, here. If you wanted to hear us talk about the original Quartet of Fantasy Star games, well, we did that a long time ago. Over three years ago, actually. And it's in our archive. And I don't have anything else. I'm tired. Good night.
Hello RPG Backtrack, this is Andy Kay, also known as Tiggs Panther, and I wanted to give a little bit of my own feedback about the game Artanalico Koga, sort of in response to your recent podcast on the Artanalico series. First, I'll give a little bit of very brief background on my experience with the game itself. Um, I didn't go into it with huge expectations, because I'd read the review on uh, RP Gamer. Um, so, you know, I was expecting a dumb, fan service laden game. So, as I said, I didn't go in with the hugest of expectations. Also, because the option was there, when it's available I will always take it, I played the game with the Japanese audio track, but obviously with the English subtitles. So I did actually get to experience the the translation part of the localization, but I did get to hear it with the original Japanese voices. Okay, firstly some of my own personal thoughts on the game. I enjoyed it. I don't think it was the best RPG in the world, but I had a good time with it. A lot of the stuff was interesting. Um, the graphics, I think, did a good enough job. The sounds, as everyone said, oh dear lord, the music in that game is fantastic. Um, the gameplay I found quite interesting. I found the battle system both really cool and really overly simple at the same time, but at its heart it was just basically button mashing, but then all the complexity was around when you mash the buttons and what else you could do. I found it very interesting use of the six axis. I liked the fact that you did purge by shaking the controller. That was a very interesting mechanic. And I loved the idea, especially with random battles, of each zone having a a little countdown in the corner of the screen telling you how many enemies or oh yeah basically how many enemies are left in the area that was something that was you know really really uh, quite good um i found some of the uh, character options quite interesting and the way they handled the purge mechanic i thought was interesting cuz they gave an explanation, however flimsy it was, of um, why the girl stripping made them more powerful. I liked the fact that, certainly in the case of Saki and Finnell, they both were uncomfortable about it. You know, it's how they got more powerful. They didn't necessarily like it. Um, what I also found really interesting is when you get into some of the later characters like Soma and like Tyria, the fact that their default form was actually less clothes than their fully clothed form. You know, it, it was interesting that some of them would put on clothes to fight. A bit odd, but interesting twist. You know, very interesting twist. And again, on Soma, I like the fact that her, that, you know, underneath a massive great mascot costume, she's sweating buckets. Um, you know, again, that little bit of reality in a really, really bizarre game. I really like that sort of thing. So, yeah, as a general rule, I did enjoy the game. But I can't entirely disagree um, with a lot of the criticisms about it. Although some of my opinions are a bit different, I can completely see where people are coming from. Um, as I said Personally, I enjoyed it, but again, I did play it with the Japanese audio track. I think that does make a lot of difference, um, especially, say, in the case of the character of Saki. Yes, she was still 
really, really annoying and overly naive, even in the original Japanese. But that kind of voice and that kind of characterization lends itself, I think, better to the Japanese language. You know, someone speaking in third person is more natural in Japanese. You know, I watch a lot of subtitled anime. I'm used to hearing the overly cutesy character sound like that. Does it sound childish? Yes. Does it sound as childish as it does in English? No. One of the other things is, I was looking at some of the character profiles um, online, and I also knew that in the original Japanese, Saki was supposed to be 15 and not 18. So, if you look at her as a character who was designed to be an adolescent in a language that lends itself to third person, yes, she sounds irritating, but she just sounds naive and childish. As an adult young woman in a language where third person is awkward, yes, she sounds broken. You know, that's that's not a good job of localization. It makes an irritating character sound offensive. You know, I only dipped in and out of the English language, but I can completely, completely understand why Sam had issues with her characterization in the dub, because, yeah, she just sounds... She sounds broken. She sounds... wrong. There is no getting around it. But, you know, because my preference is for Japanese audio, I heard it in a form that sounds at least a little bit more natural. Similarly, I didn't have too much of a problem with um, the character of Alto because, again, yeah, he sounded like a bit of a jackass. But I suspect that the way that the localization was handled and therefore probably the way some of the voicing worked with the English language, that, again, probably made him sound worse. Although one thing that I did like overall is that even though those two characters are dumb, the fact that the other characters don't pretend that they're not, you know, like Kokona is so snarky towards the two of them, the fact that, you know, everyone acknowledges the fact that, you know, that Saki is naive, you know, they don't pretend that she's not, you know, when Alto acts like a dumbass, other people pull him up on it. Again, I guess that's why I don't have a problem with them being very flawed characters, because... They are characters that the rest of the cast also sees as flawed. You know, if he had a couple of characters acting like that and everyone else was completely fine with it, then I would basically also find them quite offensive. But personally, I didn't have too much of an issue. Um, another one of the main criticisms I noticed was on the the uh, one of the late-stage battles with Mew. That's the timed battle. I can completely see why, from a gaming point of view, having a timed battle with no indicators on screen is frustrating. From a narrative point of view, I liked it, because, you know, here's a battle where all they know is, we've got to do this quickly, we don't know how much time we've got, try to finish it quickly, and then if you don't, it just silently goes on to a different path, as it would in an actual battle. You know, if they're saying, we don't know how long it's going to be, and then suddenly you end up with a clock on screen... That's one of those th- those things I find where where the game engine and the plot diverge, and that always breaks me out of the game. So from from a narrative point of view, I'm glad that it was like this silent time limit. But from a gaming point of view, I can understand how it would be frustrating, especially if you're doing a review of a pre-release game where you've not got the advantage of knowing that there are multiple endings and knowing that you can find your way around. You know, doing this one blind just yeah, that's the kind of thing where it's not going to be as useful. But 
personally, I just found it a refreshing change from the on-screen timers that seem to, you know, that the characters were oblivious to. I always find those a little bit irritating, personally, in games. So, um, yeah, when it comes to the endings, I've been through three of them. I did one of the normal endings, um, Saki's, I think. I did the bad ending, and I've had uh, Finnell's true ending. I like the fact that it branches in different ways. I like the fact that if you go the true ending path, there's a whole extra section of the game, and I like the fact that it does take it in different directions. You know, it adds a definite level of of replay value to the game, which I think some games don't, because it really just feels like retreading old ground. Where at least here, there's three different types of ending path, which is, you know, a refreshing change from other games. And, you know, the fact that each of the three types of ending is different, you know, the the bad ending is still this sort of really, really beautifully bittersweet ending. You know, that it's bad, but it still kind of shows that, you know, the rest of the characters are going on and doing stuff. And it's, you know, it's this little thing. And the fact that the whole world and the whole the way the magic system works, it just feels like a fully realised game. Yes, it's flawed. Yes, the fan service levels in it will probably be far too high for some people's liking. Yes, it can feel uncomfortable to watch at times, and, you know, yes, if you, especially if you put it in with the English language voices, some of the characters just sound like they shouldn't exist. But, personally, I had a fun time with it. I don't think it's for everyone, but, you know, it was just different enough to really appeal to me. But, despite that, very, very interesting to hear other people's opinions on the game and why it didn't work for them. Because, you know, if everyone liked the same games, I think the world would be a bit boring. <laughs> 